Today is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, we start off by talking about some lordship salvation, faith plus works, faith no works. Let's talk about it. And then eschatology and the rapture for a good little bit. And then ending up with a, I guess, Hebrew Israelite, quote, Hebrew Israelite. Um, either way, Yah is not amused. So, uh, sit back and enjoy this conversation, and hopefully it will pique your interest. Um, let's see, check out the Ask a Christian book, available on Amazon. If you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can read it for free. And check out the Ask a Christian store, grab some merchandise, grab a t-shirt, support the podcast, or you can just click and, or you can click on the donate link in the podcast description for all these links, and the donate description podcast link. Anyway, it's all in the description. So share this podcast uh, with everyone and enjoy. We'll catch you later. God bless. You know, it makes some sense from some scriptures where they say if you don't um, obey the Lord, then you're not really saved. But the problem with it is I think it's talking more about assurance. If you don't obey the Lord, you don't have assurance that you're really saved. Because if you start making obedience or requirement then it becomes work salvation and people like to include works in their salvation because it makes them feel good yes so people say well it's jesus but you got to get baptized or it's jesus plus you could lose it if you don't do right and so a lot of that is um man's pride that wants to bring some works into it in some way anyways that's bernie well, yeah, it does. And it's kind of like yesterday, too. It's like there, there's so many things like, you know, that we talk about that are are like, you know, both sides are, are so close to agreeing. But it's just like some little bitty like like kind of way of reasoning or way of thinking like derails the whole thing. So I, I kind of like what you said, right? Like, um, you know, you don't want to bring works into it. Um, so you talked about, you know, some people say, well, you got to do works or, or you're not safe. But then you would say, well, like you, like you said, no, no, you're saved, but it gives you that assurance. So it's, I don't know, it's like trying to figure out the, the right, you know, the right intent and the right way to say that. Because it's like, well, you know, like we would both agree, like a, a proper Christian life is someone that, you know, follows Jesus and actually does what the Bible says, right? So you would say, oh, well, look, they're doing good works. And everyone would agree. But it's then, well, why are they doing the good works? But, but the result is whether or not someone thinks they have to do good works, they will do good works. Because otherwise, that would be evidence that maybe they're not following Jesus. And it's just it's just like so confusing, right? Because it, it's so close. Like it would be easier if it was like night and day. It's like, oh, no, these people say you don't need works and they're not doing good works. They're terrible people. It'd be like, oh, well, they're wrong. That's easy. But whenever it's like it's that that close to lining up, but you can't quite get all the way there because it's like, look, well, everyone should have this fruit that what they're doing is right. But then if their intent is they must do this fruit to show what they're doing is right, that's problematic. But it's like one degree away from not being problematic. That's that's my thoughts. Yeah. yeah so I think how it's important how we word it and how we express it and rightly divide the scriptures here because you know we're not talking about pre mill post mill. We're talking about salvation. You know somebody's soul, our soul. So it is important that we're trusting Christ alone uh, for our salvation. But like you said, some people will do that. They'll say they trust Christ alone, but then they'll add other things without even realizing it. But here's the thought. When you said a have to, a Christian has to do good works. See, I think you have to expand that. A Christian has to do good works, 
not in order to be saved, but in order to show that they are saved, in order to have God's blessing in this life, in order to be justified before men, as uh, James says of Abraham, but before God, we're justified apart from those works. So do you have to do good works? Yes, but not to be saved. Yes, in order to um, be what we ought to be after we're saved. So, yeah, it's important well, see, to distinguish. That. Yeah, see, that's writing that line like really fine because it's like, well, no, you don't have to do good works. If you, you know, if you have faith in Christ and get hit by a bus without doing any good works, great, you're saved. Um, but you know, if you if you don't get hit by a bus and continue living, well, then technically you don't have to do good works to be saved. It's by faith alone in Christ. However, if you don't do good works, even though you don't have to do good works, if you don't do good works, then that could be evidence that you're actually not saved. Because if you really were saved, you would do good works, not because you have to, just because you can't help yourself but do good works following the, following the master. So it's it's one of those like almost catch 22s, like a Christian catch 22. Because it's like, you know, you don't have to do good works, but if you don't have good works, does that mean perhaps that's evidence that you are not really saved? Um, it's... Yeah, well, this might help. You know, Jesus compared salvation to being born again. And so when you compare it to being born, it's normal and natural for a baby to grow and develop and improve and so forth. And so it's normal and natural for someone who's trusted Christ as Savior to do good works. And that's, you know, a normal, natural outgrowth. But if, a, let's take a baby, if a baby doesn't grow normally and naturally, that's a huge emergency, but it doesn't mean the baby's not alive. And in the same yeah. way, if a Christian doesn't obey the word of God, that's a big problem and needs to be addressed, but it doesn't mean they are not born. They're not really saved. They got to just what, try it again or get saved again or born again, 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 you know, that's, that's, gets crazy. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, and that's what so many people have a, a hard time understanding. It's, it's not about, um, you know, it's not about good and bad. It's about dead versus alive. Um, and you know, and then when they hear that, they're like, Oh, so you don't have care about good stuff at all. No, that's just not the primary concern. Because if you do good stuff apart from Christ, great. That means nothing. You, you may as well drown kittens. I mean, you know, don't do that, but you know what I mean. So it's like if, if you're dead, like a dead person doing good stuff is a d doing nothing. Dead people can't do anything. So, um, yeah, it's like be alive and then good works will flow out of it. It's like trying to put the court, cart before the horse. Exactly. And, you know, if it wasn't an important issue, then... It might not be an object of discussion, but because the Bible teaches that our trust in Christ alone is what saves us, that's why we have to distinguish this. And, and even though you say to some it seems like a fine line, I think the more we describe it biblically and so forth, then uh, the better it becomes. Some of it is just a misreading. Like some people will read uh, Jesus's requirements for discipleship and they won't realize that that's different than salvation. See, every safe person ought to be a disciple, but not all of them are. And, you know, salvation is all about his cross. Discipleship is different. I got to take up my cross. Salvation is apart from my works. 
discipleship is totally dependent on my works, you know, forsake all and follow him. There are many in the Bible who were followers and learners, aka disciples, but they weren't believers. And sadly, there were some believers who weren't followers and disciples. We ought to be both, but the one that decides your eternity is your salvation, not your discipleship. Yes. I think we all agree. Does anyone not agree with that? I believe we all do. Well, Mar- Mar- oh, hey, Michael. Like, yeah. Well, my, I, yeah, Michael, I forgot. Michael for used to I, agree. I used to, <laughs> used to Michael agree. used to agree. Uh, good morning, Michael. How are you? Hey, uh, okay. Um, so I, it, it's funny. I, I when I when I hear this type of, of argument, right? You know the you know the doing good, but why? But work? But this? But blah? It, it it's just it seems like the antics of semantics. Um, I've I've always looked a little bit sideways at someone who who can't do good for goodness sake, right? Like if, if you need a reason at all, other than, you know, trying to benefit humanity, that seems off to me. I agree. Are, are we you in know, too I, much agreement? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, uh, a modicum of empathy uh, can be your guiding force, and 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 that's enough, right? And you know, and and I, and I I think one of the ways this is evident is is it's evident in those you know who who lack the capacity for empathy, right? You know those who you know those who have you know some issues, you know where they actually you know derive pleasure from the pain of others right but this is not the norm right this is the exception um and you know if if i think you'd be hard pressed to look at your day see the people that you interact with see the people you interact with on a regular basis i think you'd be hard pressed to find people that are purposely malevolent like this is just not something that we that we typically do in society, right? We we tend to ostracize those people or or lock them in concrete boxes, you know, or you know, a thousand years ago we we killed them, right? So Michael, do you in your view, do you view man and his nature as basically good or as basically bad? I think basically good. Uh, and I think that that's largely societal, right? Um, you know, I, I view I view morality at least as partially as a social contract, right? Um, you know, we, uh, you know, you know, through empathy and the desire to, uh, you know, coexist, um, you know, we we understand that having these things done to us isn't cool, so we don't want to do them to other people, um, you know. But even that is somewhat relativistic, right? Because if you look at people like, and this is something Christopher Hitchens talked about in one of the discussions he was doing once, he said, uh, you know, he said, you know, what are, you know, what are we to do when we're faced with someone like Charles Manson, right? Who thankfully now is dead. But, um, you know, he said, I want Charles Manson treated in a, in a way that I don't want to be treated myself, right? So, so even that only goes so far when we look at the, you know, the, at the mores, of what uh, you know, of what building a sustainable society has done. 
you know, I wonder how much of it is just like the good, empathetic, you know, people are basically good versus kind of like a lesser degree of like mutually assured destruction. It's more about self-preservation. So it's like, you know, uh, cheating, stealing, these things are wrong. Not because we have deep empathy for people who are necessarily being stolen and cheated on. I mean, some people would, but I, I'm just, you know, for thought's sake. Um, or could it be, well, you know, we don't want this done to us. So we're going to enact laws in our, in our leaders and stuff like that. that are going to say this is illegal and there's penalties, not because we care so much, you know, if it happens to anyone else, but we don't want it happening to us. So if we can make this a law, so it doesn't happen to us, then sure we'll play along and be like, okay, well, we also don't want it to happen to anyone else either. So I wonder if it is just how much of it, because sure, some of it is, but how much of it is pure goodwill versus self-preservation, which is kind of, you know, the opposite of <laughs> the pure goodness of heart. Well, it's interesting. I mean, so I think I think self-preservation is probably our most basic human instinct, right? Um, and it and it, it ripples out like a pond, like you know, pebble in a pond, right? You know, mo you know, for first and foremost for ourselves. And I think the only exclusion to that, um, and it's an interesting case, it's an interesting case study, is 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 mothers, right? Because mothers seem to be actually more willing to forego their own personal safety for that of their uh, children. Which is a weird thing, right? It kind of flies in the face, uh, you know, of that. It, it's it's not universal, but it is, but it, but it is more, it is more so the case than not. Um, I say, go ahead. I mean, sorry. you know, not to, not to take away from mama bears, but I mean, you know, there's are some uh, mothers that eat their young. Um, you of know, course, the world. Of course. But I mean, you know, not to, you know, not to not to promote the patriarchy, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like a parental thing. Like, you know, I could say like I would, you know try to dodge bullets and spare my children but if it came down to it you know i'd throw myself in a car to uh oh they're not here to hear that i'm gonna make sure they hear that later like yeah i'd totally throw myself in a car to try to you know save their life so i mean i think that's like a parental instinct or i don't know i mean you know but there's plenty of people who would do that for a complete stranger um i mean just just because i i mean i don't know there's a lot that goes into it but i mean yeah, I, th I think it's more than just, you know, like mama bears. Like, I mean, you would probably, yeah, I mean, Michael, I, yeah. like throw I, yourself I into a dangerous way to save a little old lady crossing the road. road. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm certainly not trying. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dad too, right? So I'm not trying to minimize, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 you know, the thoughts of fathers out there uh, in, at all, right? But, you know, the, the, the type of um, unbelievable or kind of ultimate altruism that you're talking about, you know, sacrificing yourself for a stranger, um, I, think it, I think it does happen. I think it's very rare, um, but I think it does happen. And, you know, but like I was saying before about the, the pond thing, right? So we, you know, we tend to be more, um, you know, like the, when you drop the pebble in the pond, you know, you get ripples and you get circles, right? And those circles kind of start with you, right? So you are more protective. So generally speaking, you are most protective of yourself. And then the first rip, the first circle is your family. Right. And then the next circle is your friends and the next circle is your acquaintances. Right. But the further the further out from you, the circle gets the, the less obligation, generally speaking, you feel towards that individual to do to uh, for the same level of sacrifice that you do for someone closer in that like in one of the smaller circles. Right. Was the point yeah, I was trying, totally. trying to get. There. Yeah. Point so, taken. And there's, there's like a cost benefit analysis that, you know, may have to take take place at like a split second. Lou, I am trying to invite you. If you're not able to get up, let me know. I'll, hey, I'll be it my noted, and, <laughs> but, be it noted that uh, Mother's Day is coming up. And um, <laughs> Michael, the, um, in your view of man being basically good, do you remember from your former training that the Bible 
pretty much teaches that man is basically not good. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. From a from a biblical perspective, um, man, like at least at least this was my interpretation. From a biblical perspective, man was created, or mankind, humankind, was created good, um, and then made a choice, uh, and and that spoiled it, right? So um, at least that would, that would be my interpretation. So you know, it, it it started out good, and then we decided we wanted autonomy, or we wanted to make a choice for ourselves. Um, and then that messed it up. Now, concerning um, giving our life uh, for other folks and things like that you were discussing, it brings to mind Romans 5. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that's a really wonderful contrast, and I'm going to have to go down in listening mode soon, but I just wanted to point out that's two wonderful things about our salvation that we brought out this morning. One is that Christ died for us, even though we are basically sinful and we don't deserve it. We're not his friends, yet he he cared enough to die for us. We would be the outer ring of that rock in the pond, or we would be the rock sinking, you know. But he died for us despite uh, our sinfulness. And then the other wonderful thing about salvation that we started out with is it's totally apart from our works. And that's what makes it wonderful. And that's what makes us love him and therefore have the motivation to do the good works out of love for Christ and what he's done in our life. But appreciate talking with you guys. I want to go to listening mode pretty quick here. Yeah. And, and oh, that's it's always nice to have you, Mark. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Michael. Yeah, that's an interesting point. But I mean, it, it raises fewer. I mean, well, I mean, one, and not to be too pokey about it, but you know, one, uh, you know, it begs the question that the God exists in the first place. Um, but but more importantly, the question would be, what is, and Mark, if you're okay, you are still, hopefully you can just answer this one last question. What is sin? All right. So the Bible definitions of sin are the ones that I would hold to. Uh, the word sin itself means missing the mark. And so what mark are we talking about? Well, the mark that's set up in God's word. So sin would be another Bible definition is it's the transgression of the law. So in other words, when we cross the line, when we transgress, when we go across God's line given in the scripture, then we have sinned. Right. And so it's God's law, right? Right. In the, in the Christian, biblical Christian view, uh, mm -hmm. sin is violating what God has told us in the scripture. Right. And, and he decides what sin is, right? Sure. And he decides what the punishment for sin is, right? I feel like I'm getting set up here, but yes. Right. So, so he could have picked anything, right? He could have. So, so, so like, as, um, oh, so that's Mark, where, are you, hold on, hold on. So that's where... Hmm. That's where there's a little of a logical leap there to say he could have picked anything because he's not going to pick outside his nature. He's not going to say, okay, the penalty for sin is you get to be in heaven. No, because the, uh, he is a God who has described himself in his nature in the scripture as being totally separate from sin and apart from sin. Um, and so it's a little bit logical leap to say he could have picked anything.
Okay, so that's interesting. They bring logic into this. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is omnipotent? And what I and what I mean by omnipotent is He can do anything that is logically possible. Okay, omnipotent means God can do anything He chooses to do. So He could make a squared circle. God can do anything He chooses to do. Obviously, He's not going to choose to do that. Why wouldn't He? I mean that just. Why okay, would? All right, I, I don't want to get <laughs> too. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I don't want to get too far. Too far off track, right? But so if if you're saying if you're saying like logically possible, right? There's no logical contradiction in heaven being the punishment for sin. There's no logical contradiction in that. Right. So that's why we use the Bible above human logic, and if our human logic ever puts us in contradiction with the Bible then we know our human logic is leading us in the wrong direction. So it's not logical, it's just what the Bible says. The Bible is our supreme authority for all matters of faith and practice. Okay. Yeah, and, and again, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm being pokey, and I, I'm not meaning to be, but it's just, you know, it's, it's like there's no, like if, if you're, if someone is going to say, you know, if, if someone is going to say, well, you know, it's the only logical thing, right? And, and it's, it's fine, like from a theological perspective, I, I accept what it is that you're saying, right? You know, God decides because God can decide, right? Um, and some people will say might is right, whatever. I, I get it. Like, wh however you want to justify that is fine, right? God gets to decide, okay, fine. He's the one who sets the standard because he is the standard, okay, fine. From a theological perspective, I, I accept that, right? But it, 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 it only gets to me to be a little bit twitchy if you start saying, logically x y or z right because if you're going to say logically x y or z then we have to think about what you know what form of logic we're talking about right, right. and just, you know people say well you know it's 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 contradictory for him to go against his nature but it's like is it contra like like whereas if you're going to say it's contradictory for him to go against his nature then you have to be able to demonstrate an a and not a right, right? Uh otherwise it's just his choice and if, so that's, if, yeah. if as an omnipotent being, it's his choice, cool, it's his choice, but don't say it's logic. So I brought up the word logic and uh, sparked this. To me, um, as a Christian, I just base what I believe on the scripture, but I find that because logic is a God-given ability that he has given to us and established, that if we're using logic correctly, it's always going to fall in line with the Bible. And when we start seeing things in our logic that do not fall in line with the Bible, that shows that our logic is wrong. So, you know, I, you know, I mentioned logic and set you off onto that. So sorry for that. But no, no, it's totally fine. Do you mean do you mean more reasoning than logic? Um, perhaps. I mean, I, I studied math and logic, you know, and if P then Q and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I understand what you mean by rigorous logic, but that's again that is developed by man through gifts god has given us but if we have um again if our logic there are some things in the bible that defy logic you know jesus 100 percent man 100 percent god well you can't be 100 percent both that's not logical okay i just gonna believe god's word and what he said and if my logic can't handle it then my logic is either flawed or not developed to the point uh, that maybe God intends, but it doesn't matter. He's given us the Bible so we know uh, what's intended. And then on the definition of omnipotence, 
you know, people say God could do anything. Um, there's a, a technique that some people use to be able to share the gospel with others is at a fair booth. They will set up a, a board with three doors and at the top it says three things God cannot do. And so you open up the first one, God cannot sin. You open up the second one, God cannot lie. The scripture says, you know, that God will not or cannot lie. And this I believe. And then the third one says, God cannot send a born again person to hell. And so when we think, you know, well, might makes right and God sends people to hell. No, he loves us. Our sin sends people to hell. Our sin is what sends us to hell. And he he um, did everything to rectify that by allowing Christ to die in our place. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I had a. Uh, it's funny you brought up the whole you know God can't lie thing because there was a. It wasn't. It wasn't me who came up with. It. Actually, and again, from a theological perspective, it's. This will sound less charitable than I mean it to. From a theological perspective, what I'm about to say is just hand waved away. But from a quote unquote logical perspective, it can't be right. So there was uh, there was a discussion going on in, in a room a, a few days ago, and uh, someone, a, a believer, I don't remember whether it was a Christian or not. I, I can't honestly say that I remember. But a believer of some tradition said, you know, God can do anything logically possible. And uh, a fellow heathen uh, was on the stage and said, I can prove your God is not omnipotent in three seconds. And I think the believer was kind of salivating because he believed this wasn't the case. And so the and so what what the the atheist said was, can God lie? And the believer said, No, God can't lie. They say, Well, there is no logical contradiction in telling a lie. Therefore your God is not omnipotent. He cannot do everything logically possible. <laughs> yeah, so I would say that that believer had an elementary school definition of omnipotence. Uh, or uh, yeah, that God could do anything. It's really God can do anything that he chooses to do. And the verse, by the way, that says God can't lie is Titus 1, verse 2, yeah. in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the, I'm familiar with the verse. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's cool having these. Uh, I, I've, one of the things I've always appreciated about coming into this space in particular is the ability to have discussions, uh, rigorously disagree, and uh, not be jerks about it. So, thanks. And just to tie up a loose end um, in chat about the whole people were good thing, it was a good point. I think it was Brother Miller uh, who, who brought it up. He's like, you know, people are good. Yeah, that's why we have armies and police. Like, you know, on some, like, you know, when people are having a moment of clarity, and they really think, like, you know, when they're drafting governments and documents and, well, in years past, maybe not so much now. But, you know, people, you know, would have the presence of mind to be like, okay, what is good? What is right? What do we aspire to? Then they could put down some high-minded ideas and, you know, some good moral things. Uh, but then, you know, to enforce that for the general populace, yeah, I mean, you've got to physically enforce that. And we see what happens when, what happens when governments fall around the world. Like, it's absolute chaos and anarchy. So, um, I mean, yeah, I don't know how that plays into your argument, Michael, but, um, yeah, I'd say that people are not, not, not the reason the world isn't necessarily burning is because people are so good. It's because people having a lucid, sober moment can put down some, you know, decent ideas, but then they have to like enforce that physically. Otherwise people will go crazy. Um, 
and, and Michael, and there, might, uh, yeah, and you... there might be truth to that. There might be truth to that. Yeah, for sure. Let me let me do something awful. I'll make you mod real fast. Can you can you bring Steph up? I, I don't think my clubhouse is letting me invite people. It said she raised her hand, but it's not uh, letting me invite anyone up. Hey, Nick, what's up? Oh, not much. What's going on? Oh, nothing. Another day. Anything on your mind? Anything you'd like to... Well, I was going to comment on that conversation they were having earlier, but they left, so... Well, Mark left. I'm still, We're still here. But yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, Steph, I have I've invited you twice. I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe maybe Nate's room is broken. The, the the devil is influencing the room here. Maybe she accidentally hit the button. I mean, it said would like to speak on your stage. <laughs> but uh, maybe I misread that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've I've sent it three times. If you need to boot me down and bring me back up, it's cool. I don't care. Um, but but yeah, I've done it three times now, so I'm not sure what's going on. <clears throat> And yeah, by the way, if anyone else wants to jump on stage, feel free. Raise your hand. Uh, yeah, Nick, if you'd like to say anything about that conversation, go right ahead. And Mark's still listening, so maybe he can respond in chat if he likes. Nah, I think it would stir things up. I heard, I heard someone say something about our sin sending us to hell. And I was going to point out and I know that God, you know, ultimately is the one that sends us to hell. That it says, Jesus said, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You don't want to make the wrath of God impersonal to where it's just our sin doing it. No, the wrath of God is against us as a person. You know, he doesn't send our sin to hell. He sends us to hell. I just wanted to make the distinction because it says, you know, whoever doesn't believe in Christ is condemned already. So the wrath of God, it says the wrath of God remains on him. So that is not something just directed against our sin. That is directed against the whole person. On the one hand, he can both love and hate the sinner at the same time. Now, how we reconcile that, I don't fully understand, but there is a hatred of God against evil. Psalm 5, 5, he, he hates those who are evil. Yeah, which kind of flies in the face. Do, do you think that that um, flies in the face of, uh, oh, uh, I see, yeah. Um, do you think that that flies in the face of First John 4, where it says that God is love? God is it's, love. It's, it seems to to me. That, that, that is exactly why God must hate, because he is love. If God loves what is righteous, he must hate what is evil. If God, if I love babies, I must hate abortion. You know, it goes hand in hand. The, the hatred of God is it directed against evil. The love of God doesn't love everything. God doesn't love evil. God doesn't love sin. So simply because God is love, that's not all that he is. He is holy. He is righteous. And he is a judge. So that's one of his attributes. That's not all of his attributes. And I think it is directly the love of God for righteousness, the reason that he does punish evil. Interesting. Well, to Mark's defense, he is answering in chat if you want to read that. He says both can be true. God's wrath both toward uh, you know, sin and toward the sinner. Also, both perspectives on the object of God's wrath and love. But I'd say, remember when Mark said that, you know, uh, it was in the context of, you know, what what's consistent with God's nature. Um, context is key. But um, is it key or king? Context is, I think either one could work, but is the, is the quote king? Context is king? Anyways, whatever context is, key or king. But, uh, you know, the context was God being consistent with his nature. So he was saying like, God is not going to be like someone that's like, well, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm born again. I have eternal life in Christ. And God's like, no, go straight to hell. 
that was the point. Like, you know, God cannot uh, send someone who has eternal life in Christ to hell. And does that mean cannot because he's uh, incapable of it or he will not because it's not consistent with his nature? That was the context of what was Mark, Mark was saying. I think he would agree with me. But yes, I mean, you know, God can do whatever he wants, but he's not going to do something outside his nature. So it's like if you if you have all your sin, then then technically God is like, you know, get away from me. I never knew you <laughs> um, or, you know, you, you have you have sin. So God technically is the gatekeeper sending you to hell. But if not for your sin, if you you know had eternal life in Christ, then God wouldn't be like, oh, you trust my son Jesus to save you. Go to hell like that wouldn't happen. That was the. Just to clarify, that was what Mark was uh, talking about. Yeah, I caught the end of that. But yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, he wouldn't. Those who are in Christ are in his son. He views them as in his son. All their sins are forgiven. So yeah, it would be inconsistent. It would be <laughs> completely unjust for him to credit the righteousness of Christ to them, impute the sin of us to Christ, and then send us to hell too, even though he's already punished that in Christ. Yeah, I agree with that. Hey, Edward, welcome. Oh, go ahead, Michael. No, it just it raises another interesting and again, Nate, if you need to truck me down and bring me back up, it's totally cool. I, I don't want to cause anybody any headaches. Um, but yeah, <laughs> matter. Um, so, but it, it raises an interesting question, right? Because so everybody's heard the saying, you know, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner, right? So, um, I, I guess, and this and this could only be opinion, right? Of course, I'm not asking you to speak for you know God, right? But so, if First John four is true, and that God is love then he loves all of us. And I'm just kind of, I'm putting my Christian hat on for a second. So he loves all of us, right? But he hates the sin. He hates the evil that we do, right? So he has the capacity, because he's the one who decided what sin is, a transgression against his law, will, whatever, right? He has the capacity to make the punishment anything he chooses right so it could just be you know a firm talking to and then admittance into heaven right it could be that right um so it, it it's it it's an interesting kind of thought right but again with the christian head on you know ephesians 1 i think it's ephesians 1 11 says everything's done for his purpose right so if he's got his reasons and whatever they are there is reasons and you know that's all so anyway, you would say the people you're talking about there, affirm talking to you would say that, those are believers, right? Obviously. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not sure what your question is. No, when you said he could, if he chose to give us a firm talking to unless in the heaven, who are you talking about there? Not believers. Yeah. Not like me, for example, like, let's say, you know, lightning strikes, boom, I'm dead. And now I'm standing for, I'm standing before God, right? He could do anything he chose right and if because if ephesians 111 is 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 true and everything's done for his purpose he could choose whatever he wanted he could just wag his finger at me and say you know i get where you were coming from but you were still wrong but i'm gonna let you in anyway so right? since we're doing a thing as an unbeliever you believe well, he's asking, and I would say just for a quick thought experiment, since he asked for opinions, since yeah. I'm not speaking for God, I mean, look at that in a very material, temporal world we have. Whenever we have very, very stiff punishments for crime, you have very, very little crime. When you have very lax punishment for crime, like look around our world in the last 10 years, all the things that have been like, that used to be like, you know, crimes with severe punishment, look at all the 
legalization of different things, decriminalization of certain things. And you can look at the toll it's taking on like governmental resources, aid, you would probably be able to speak to this, um, versus, you know, outright outlawing with very stiff criminal punishments. And then people are like, magically uh, get their act together. And they're like, oh, <laughs> I guess I don't need to do that after all. Um, so can you imagine like if we just take our temporal fleeting uh, lives as an example, and then think if it was something like that on a very eternal type scale, like how much different that's like the unintended butterfly effect like we we get what we need not what we want so like if we got what we wanted like we could like i don't know it could be like universe upending um like on a scale that we couldn't possibly imagine and that would somehow having us pronouncing like a very different judgment on god even more heart more harshly than the harshest critics are now doing it um if it were that way so i would just point out in the you know in the world of unintended consequences um if for no other reason than that should give us something to think about well, I think what he said about, you know, God could do this if he chose or he could choose another route. I think you're viewing justice as something God can adjust. Like justice is justice and God is going to satisfy that. And as far as sin, sin requires punishment. It requires atonement. And God cannot simply wink at it and pass over it without an atonement being made. That was what all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward to. The atonement of Christ uh, satisfied the justice and wrath of God against sin. And God could not just wink at that because it says in Romans 3, uh, he, he sent Christ that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So God would be unjust to simply pass over sin and let it go unpunished. It, just as much as a judge, if someone committed murder and they stood before a judge and the judge says, well, I'm a very merciful judge, just, you know, I'm going to let this one slide. You can't do that. That is a violation of justice. And justice is not something external to God, a code that he can choose to, to obey or not. Justice is who God is. That is based on his nature. So God cannot uh, choose different routes or different ways to, to punish people. Like one person, he can say, well, I'm just going to give you a firm talk and you come in. No, all, all sin ultimately will be paid for by one of two people. It'll be paid for by the sinner in hell or it'll be paid for by uh, God's Son on the cross. There is no sin that will simply be winked at. It'll all be paid for by someone. Who decides what justice is? Well, God's I feel nature. like we're going in a circle. God's nature. Well, no, well, no and, and it's, no, so if, like, so if, if it is, if what you're saying is true, right, and that justice is part of God's nature, right, so... If if he has if he has a nature, then he also you know has desires, right? Like it you know, like the Bible says that you know God desires for no one, yeah, you know you know for no one to fall away from him. I think I can't remember the exact verse, right? So God has desires, yes. Well, in the simplicity, people would say that God without passions is nature. But I I don't I don't understand all that debate as far as the desires of God. But um, I would say the Scripture speaks of that anthropomorphically, yeah. Okay. All so right. it, the, the scripture you're talking about is God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. But real Perfect, fast, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to be talking too I mean, why don't I want to be talking too much? But I, I want to parrot what Mark said in chat, um, you know, just to bring in some other people. So, you know, uh, and it's a good point, um, you know, time-wise. You know, God says, you know, it, Mark's going back to God can't lie, that thing. And, um, you know, he's like, well, look, God already tells us the the wages of sin is death and talks about the eternal lake of fire. So, so yes, like going like going forward, uh, God's not going to undo anything, and this is a hypothetical anyway. So, Michael, for your hypothetical, this would have had to taken place before 
God decided that, you know, eternal punishment for, you know, these uh, sins. Sure, um, yeah. Just to make that note. So fair point. No, here. no, perfect. Yeah, but his decision, right? Right. Right, his, his choice. So he could have chosen otherwise. Could have chosen yeah. another and since, and since we're in like an extreme hypothetical and we don't, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't even believe God exists and we, and we, and we don't claim to know the mind of God. I would just say, well, look from our faith position that God does exist and yours that, you know, it's an extreme hypothetical because you, you know, deny the existence of this God. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, let's like leave it at Joshua 24, where it's like, look, if this God seems evil to you, if you want to serve another God, choose this day who you'll serve. But as for me and my house, will serve this God. Um, I mean, I guess like, you know, I like thought experiments, but for practical application, uh, I think that's, that's probably the, the wall we would butt up against. It's like, well, look, if this God you don't think exists is bad, um, don't follow him. Or, you know, if you're like, well, if he does exist, I'm in it for a bad day. Well, I guess no one can do anything about it. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it, maybe it's the case that we've beaten this horse to death. So maybe it's time to move on. It's totally cool. But as soon as we say that, no one else ever has anything else to say. So, I mean, you know, maybe we can't keep talking about it. I just don't know where else to go. Uh, Edwin, do you have anything to say, Edwin? Uh, how dare you make Michael a mod? <laughs> <laughs> I was never a mod in this room. <laughs> just kidding. No, um, I'm just listening. I might chime in a bit. Say hi, everybody. Uh, Nick, any anything else? Anywhere else to go with that? Well, I see someone in the chat say, so God is limited. I, I guess he was referring to the fact that God does things a certain way, like as far as justice. I wouldn't say that limit God. That, that makes God who he is, the fact that he is just and he is perfect and that he doesn't... Uh, violate those those attributes if he did he wouldn't be god so that doesn't make god limited any more than not being able to lie makes god limited that makes him a perfect the the highest good the best being the fact that he can't do those things yeah i agree he's, he's limited by his own character i don't you know people might think that doesn't contradict omnipotence it's just there's he's won't do anything that's contrary to his nature and character Right, and and that seems yeah, I think, and that uh, seems realistic, right? Like I, I think when you break it down, for me at least, even even as an atheist, right? When you break it down for me, the lowest common denominator, it becomes an issue of theology, and it's what you believe, and so cool, it's what you believe, right? It's you know, and we could argue, you know, like when Mark and I were you know chatting before, right? It was you know like there were there were some semantics about it, right? And and so I I get it, right? At at the end of the day, it's what you believe, and it's it's fine. Yeah, I think sometimes the problem is when we get into God's omnipotence, somebody you know, incorrectly define it as, well, omnipotence means God can do anything and everything, which isn't true. Uh, unless they see, and then you're saying God has limits, so there's a contradiction there. So God's omnipotence is not that he can do anything and everything. It's he can do everything that's possible. He has all power over his creation. But yeah, there's limitations. He can't do anything contrary to his nature and, and that character, so... Yeah, I think sometimes people come into the conversation like after we've already talked about something and they like come in late and then we have to rehash it again. But yeah, in case you missed it, that's what the conversation we've already talked about has been. Okay. Well, and yeah, and if he could do things like they're saying, oh, he, he can't do anything. If he could lie and he could sin and he could uh, do all these evil things, that would be their charge in. Oh, who would worship a God like that? 
Of course. They, they, they just want an excuse. It does seem to me, though, interesting that when, and I would say present company accepted, but there have been lots of people that I've spoken to that when when push comes to shove, a lot of things to be, and again, this doesn't sound particularly charitable, but a lot of things to be hand-waved away just get tucked under his nature. Well, it's his nature, right? And And instead of, like what I would personally appreciate more, and I think everyone should do what I appreciate, but uh, I, I think what I would appreciate more is someone just saying, you know what, I'm not sure about that. And, and I, like I would totally, like if someone says to me, oh, you know, that's an interesting question, I'm not sure, I will never press anyone on something like that. I'm, I'm much harder on the people that say, no, 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 I actually know, and it's this. Because then I think you've, you've, you've gone a, maybe a step too far. Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, I see your point, definitely. I mean, but, you know, there are some things like, you know, for the Bible-believing Christian that the Bible will say and will claim. So we're like, well, we know this because of this. Uh, but then, you know, like your couldn't God just snap his fingers and be like, oh, your punishment is, uh, you know, a stern talking to. It's like, well, I mean, I think maybe he could, but I don't know. Because <laughs> the Bible does not give us a whole lot of, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, so so I'm confident saying, like, you know, the, the things that the Bible say. I'm like, yes, I claim to know this about God because, you know, I believe the Bible is his word. And this this is very, at least very little wiggle room for fancy interpretation. So I believe this is how it is. But, yeah, like your other question, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and when and when there's well, nuance, when there's nuance involved, I think it's I think that that's a, an honest thing to do. Right. If I can chime in about this, Michael, I mean, I've had similar discussions with, with Christians on all kinds of doctrines. And if I speak confidently about a position on a doctrine that they're not sure about, there'll be a similar response I will get. Well, we can't be too sure about this. People have been arguing about this for hundreds of years. We can't be too sure, but I am sure. Um, and they perceive it maybe as arrogance or pride when it's actually I just studied it out a lot. It may, it may just be it I just studied it out a lot over the years, and I'm more confident about what I'm saying, but I do understand from their perspective, if it's unclear to them, it doesn't make sense to them, yeah, and then yes, they can, I can see their perspective where from based on their, I would say inferior knowledge, if I could say that, they, from their perspective, it seems like I, I shouldn't assert something with too much confidence, but just from my perspective, sometimes I just, I feel like I know what I'm talking about. It might not make sense to them, but you, do you understand what I'm saying, if that makes sense? Any that, sense? That, that makes perfect sense, right? But yeah, but yeah. This is where we start, but this is where the lines can be blurred, right? You know, faith is the evidence of you know things hopeful, you know, or the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. The the difference between uh, belief versus knowledge, right? Because you can say that I believe something, and then you and then you will give what you believe as a justification for your beliefs, right? That is that is your internal justification and why you are convinced of the thing you are convinced of. Fine, I never have a problem with anybody saying that. But to what you said, when somebody says, you know, these are the things that I know, right? Okay, that that's fine, right? But as as my friend, uh, Aaron Ra would say, um, knowledge is demonstrable with measurable accuracy. And if you can't show it, you don't know it. You believe it. And there's a difference in those things. And that's why, and, and so, so I agree with you, right? Because if, if somebody has studied something from a theological perspective, and they can go back and they can quote something from a council or something from a creed or something from a something else to say, look, these are the things that I believe. And here is here is the evidence to back up my beliefs on this theological position. Fine. I'll throw my hands up and say, OK, cool, man. No worries. 
So I, 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 I think that is fair to do. I, I hear you. I hear you. But the problem is, is that there are things that I believe I can show, maybe not convince somebody. That's the thing. Like there are things that I am absolutely positive about in terms of theology. I believe it for 28 years, studied my brains out, debated it, and I am absolutely positive about these things. But I realize I can fail to convince somebody of it, in which case they'll think, well, you haven't shown it to me. Okay, but I believe I've shown it in the eyes of God. I think I'm, my conscience is clear in the eyes of God. But I do understand I can fail to persuade somebody else. I can fail to show it to them so that it's satisfactory to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But but persuasiveness and hey, Chris, you're up here now. Watch your step, man. I'm a mod. I will boot you down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it, it's uh, it's interesting because <laughs> um, because persuasion, right? You you can be persuasive, but you but we don't have the capacity to convince someone of something. We can we can put forth arguments like like Nate and Chris and others have been doing with me for a year and a half now, right? doing all these things, but they don't have the capacity to, to make, to convince me of something that is, you know, they, they put forth the arguments. They say, these are the things and the convincing comes from inside of me, right? Oh, you've said this thing that convinces me, right? So I, I thoroughly, I, I agree with you 120% that you, you can say that oh, these are the things that I know based on these things. And I will put forth my argument to you. You believe, like, I think if we, I think if we were to ask, like, if we were to give Nate and Chris a truth serum and say, do you believe you have, you know, given Michael enough information that he, you know, even though the Bible says I'm without excuse, that look, he should, you know, he, you know, maybe he's just a closeted Christian now. He's, you know, he's just lying to everybody. But, you know, like that these types of things have, you know, have been put across to me. They would probably say yes. I, I don't know, but I think they would probably say yes based on the conversations that we would have. But the convincing comes from – I think the convincing comes from inside. I think largely, Ed, you and I are in agreement. Yeah, I, I think I would uh, agree with most of it, although I would say when it comes to uh, salvation, the convincing, I believe it's a, a work of God that um, um, God draws a, a sinner to himself. And when I believe in God – God had given me spiritual life. He drew me to Christ. So it wasn't just pure information. Actually, it wasn't really much information at all. I just accepted the word of God as God's word by faith. So it was an act of God. What I believe, I know you don't agree with this, but uh, God regenerated me, drew me to Christ. I chose to believe through the work of God. Um, might not sound like a contradiction, but so it wasn't like I was convinced. God convinced me, so to speak through the work of the Spirit. So it's not just purely presenting information to a, a lost sinner who's spiritually dead. They have to, the work of God has to act on them and give them spiritual life and eyes to see, ears to hear, um, and draw them so they believe. But I know not, Christians may not agree with that. But I think Chris would agree with it. But, and, and I think that, I think also, that I think Chris would, and, but also the Bible says that God basically draws the people to him that he chooses and doesn't the people that he that he chooses right so that so i think from a biblical perspective i think you're on point there too well that's not, i mean that's, that's kind of like i don't want to say this will be less charitable than it means to be but it's kind of like a cop-out um when people present it that way because at the end of the day like anyone who has it within themselves to be like yes i will exercise faith jesus by faith i i would like to be this born again thing you talk about i would like eternal life 
please give me eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. I will repent. The stuff I know I should not be doing, I will stop doing. I will follow you. Uh, make me, you know, make me a child of God. To anyone who does that, then you can say, great, God chose them. So like, even the person that's like, you don't have free will. God's the one who picks. Well, anyone who can say that and like believe it, that what they're saying uh, with a monochrome of faith, even that person would have to say, well, I guess God chose you. So it's kind of like a, a cop out when people use that as like a, a anti-reason to be a Christian. It's like, well, I don't believe it. I guess by your own religion, God just didn't choose me. Well, no, because if you can say the words and like exercise a little faith to dare to believe, then congratulations, even by their standard, they would have to say, well, I guess God chose you. Um, yeah, and, and it's interesting, right? Because I can, yeah, it's it's weird, right? Because we can we can all lie to each other, right? We can, we like each one of us can be completely lying to all, all the other ones right here, right now, right? We have, And there's nothing anybody can do about that. But we can't lie to ourselves, right? So when you go home tonight and you're brushing your teeth and you look in the mirror, you know what, like, you, you know with your day, like Chris, you know, like in the, doing the IT stuff, he knows, he, he knows whether or not he did the best he could with that one customer, right? He, he knows that. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I could have done better. I could have done this better. I could have, you know, given him a better price or, you know, whatever. doesn't matter what it is. We can't lie to ourselves. So I, I think what you're saying, I, I, I accept what you're saying, right? But the Bible says that God is the reader of hearts. Right. So I can say the words. I can say the words to all of you right now, but I would be lying to you because in my heart, I am still not convinced of that. Right. And I can pull one over on you, but I can't pull one over on this God if he's real. Yeah, sure. I'm trying my best to find disagreement, guys. You're not helping. <laughs> Uh, did everyone just get quiet? Yeah, everybody, everybody's got to go quiet. Yep. Well, I want to ask Chris if, um, you know, I noticed I'm not banned today. So um, I, I left him and Bubs in charge of modding yesterday. So I wonder what kind of train, heck, train wreck they visited upon us. But um, I guess it wasn't that bad. I will say it's been a rough day for pagans on the Internet. Um, <laughs> if you see that, uh, oh, the, they're losing the meme war. So like the, the little meme in my um, PTR, it's, uh, you know, Big bad Odin Viking guy. And it's like, um, my God, wields a hammer. Yours is nailed to a cross. Ha ha ha. <laughs> that line below, it's like, yeah, well, Disney owns your God. Um, so, like, Christians got their meme ga game going strong against uh, pagans this morning. It's, it's, it's been a source of fun um, for me. And it's like, well, you know, why don't you follow the greatest pagan tradition of all and convert to Christianity? I'm like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, no, no thoughts on that? One of them was like, a, you know, there's like a common, you know, like a, from their perspective, Odin meme. And it's like, I'd rather be a wolf of Odin than a lamb of God. And someone redid that with like the lamest looking like wolf furry. <laughs> like, I want to be a wolf of Odin. Arr. Roar. Roar. <laughs> That's all I got. I that was the gayest roar I've ever heard. Hey, come on with that. Um, Sam, hey, how are you, man? Hey, y'all, how you doing? Hey, hey, Pastor Sam, welcome. What's up? So, 
Hey, Pastor Sam. Hey, how long did it go on in here yesterday after I left? Like, I guess Bubby modded some peeps, and then Steph was throwing people down, and there was just all kinds of drama. But I was like, oh, I was like working. I couldn't do, I couldn't do nothing. Yeah, can someone give me a recap of after I, uh, you know, ran for the hills? What happened? I came in and uh, I think they were talking about Calvinism. I'm not sure because the one guy was trying to figure his way out. The other two guys were trying to figure him, figuring himself out. And I added my two cents, but I couldn't get my two cents added in because every time I started speaking, these guys would interject. And I just said, you know what? I'm leaving. And I left, so I don't know what happened. So two days ago, um, Nate, after you left uh, and Steph was here, uh, so Chris was Chris was working. So he like you you left Chris as a mod, but he was doing some stuff. I guess he was working. I think it was it was with that that Canadian restaurant couple. Anyway, anyway, um, Edmonton, Edmonton, that's where they're from. Oh, cool! Edmonton's great. Love it. Um, So. Right. So Chris was busy. And so I think I don't I don't know whether you modded Steph or Chris modded Steph. Um, but then Steph was driving somewhere. So it was really funny because she's like, I'll deal with the flack later. And she made me mod. Um, oh, yeah. I heard. And it, it was it was it was only for it was only for a few minutes. And then I had to go to I had to go do some with my with my uh, with my summer wheels. Um, but it was uh, yeah, it was it was kind of funny. You know, you just just shows you you know sometimes you can trust a heathen more than you can trust anybody else i mean oh, that is true that's a hundred percent true which if anything else shows why christians are not perfect and we all need jesus even the people that say they have jesus oh and hey ceo thank me thank you for your lovely message to me this morning i haven't gotten back to you yet but yes i appreciate you sir yeah no worries thank you yeah, and Nate, it got a little boring in here yesterday because I did check in during lunch. When you, Chris, or Stephanie are not moderating, it, it gets a little bit academic and overly philosophical. Oh, kill me. Yeah, go back and I appreciate people. We were talking that about sounds like the, the opposite of what I want to do. God. We were talking about the immutability of God for like two hours, apparently. Because I was just I just had to listen because I was like in the middle of I was like in the middle of like five jobs. Seriously, like the John the Baptist thing, like I, I get it. Like, you know, like he probably had too many philosophical discussions and it just like, you know, made him a little, little eccentric. He's like, just repent, repent in this mirror. And like those guys, like you see on the corner, like, you know, standing on the, the signs, like repent. They're probably like PhD academics and like it had so many like, you know, mind numbing conversations about like, you know, the stuff we talk about here, that there's like, all right, all is lost. Repent. The end is nigh. The end is nigh. I'm like, you know, I get it. You know, it'd be really fun is like make a sandwich board and just says, you know, repent. The end is near. And then like have Michael make his own sandwich board and then see what sandwich board Michael would make to stand next to you. Michael, what sandwich board would you make? That's good. Give me a minute to think about it. (laughs) You only get one choice. No take backs. Make a good one. What's a right, sandwich yeah, board? What, what the heck pressure. is that? Part of my you know, like the uh, things, like, like the things uh, that guys. Yeah. Not, Go for it, Chris. Just like, just like two slabs of of some kind of uh, 
messaging front and back that's held together by a rope that you wear over your chest. I have a picture of one. Hang on. <laughs> TTR it's incoming. A, it's called the sandwich board. You'll, I mean, it used to be a lot more popular than it is now. Okay. Oh, I never heard of that. Thought they made Bruce Willis wear in one of the Die Hard movies. Oh yes, I think I remember that. Uh... There Wait, you go. What? 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 Yeah. What? A Die Hard. He's... Yep. Yeah, he had a sign that says "I hate," and I'm not going to say what else yeah. it said. Yeah. It took him. Yeah, basically, uh, the, uh, the the protagonist in Die Hard Three um, made uh, made John McClane go to. Uh, and a basically predominantly black neighborhood with a sandwich board that said, I hate, imagine the next word, uh, and get out of a car and walk around. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. That's, that seems like something from a, like a black exploitation film from the 70s. Yeah, or Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, okay, so to answer the sandwich board question, I'm, I'm kind of racking my brain a little bit. Um, I'm, it might so it could be a few things. It could be something like with an arrow saying this guy's wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm with stupid. <laughs> no, I no, I would, and it's funny. It's it's funny. I did so full disclosure. Yes, I thought about that, but um, but but the reality is, it's it's really it's too dismissive, right? I hear this a lot, and I hear this from both sides. I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a second. Um, I hear this from both sides. Um, people being just really um, bad towards others, right? Like, so we believe different things, right? But there are there are too many examples of people on both sides of this of this fence that are clearly very intelligent people, and it's overly dismissive to just call them stupid because you disagree with what they think. I agree. Well, sure, for being charitable, but we're putting things on sandwich boards. That's not the place for charity. <laughs> Have you ever? Has I any, appreciate your for Michael. Has anyone ever changed their mind on an issue because they were called stupid? Have you ever like said? Oh, hmm, actually, yeah, yes, I have. <laughs> okay. I've been called stupid, and I changed my mind. Really? Because I was then I had to think about it real deeply, and I was like, ah, oh, crap, they're right. Really? I mean, I mean, like on a doctrinal issue, or just like something else that you don't have to share, but I mean, not a, yeah, like a, but like a, like not a major doctrinal issue, but like you know, just peanut butter or jelly, thinking through some things. Yeah, just like oh, oh, you know, like right now, one of the struggles I'm doing right now, Ed, is like I'm going through and reading primary sources because I want to get the boys, you know, the boys that Michael said get really academic and philosophical, like. They're into something called Thomism, and I'm trying to more deeply understand those issues so that I can bring them along out of that particular philosophical metaphysic. Uh, well, hey, true Israel, welcome. Chris will answer any question you have for him. <laughs> Are you speaking? True. Are you speaking? No, I think that's the uh, pastor laughing at your laughing at your. Something. Yeah, he's, he's because oh, I, I just at me, Israel, not you. He's laughing at me. Because I just put Chris on the yeah, spot. I mean, he's laughing. But at yeah, somebody. go ahead. Go ahead. He was laughing because I said Chris. Out of everyone in the room, Chris is going to answer your questions. I put Chris on the spot. I was making a joke at Chris's expense. Yeah. That's why he's laughing. But if you'd like to speak, uh, go Sam, ahead. Sam, 
Sam was laughing because I got thrown under the bus. So that's <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So, Jesus is coming soon. So you guys believe that Jesus is coming soon? Relatively, yes. I mean, we can yeah. talk about what soon means, but sure. That's what I mean. What is... What is I, I, oh, that's a good question. I actually... To me, that means any you. minute now. Could be any minute now. Well, soon is relative, you know, to the context. If I say to you, I'm going to be heading off to work soon, now you know that I work five days a week. Right. Soon might mean an hour. But if I say I'm going to retire soon, well, what's the context? So if I work for, you know, my 25 years, I might be, okay, I'm going to retire next year or two. So it depends on the context, what we're talking about. So when my understanding, now someone, I thought it was interesting, when they talk about, the Bible talks about the, these things shall shortly come to pass, Christ coming soon. Some people think, well, it means he's going to come in any moment. But there's also the view that it's a presupposed as referring to like this, the, this, the, this prophetic calendar that God has. Some people believe there's a 6,000-year plan. And so the writers were writing at the end of day four, the 4,000th year. Each, uh, each day is, represents 1,000 years. Some people believe that soon refers to the fact that Christ would come back within two prophetic days, within 2,000 years. Um, I know that might sound kind of convoluted, but there is, it's a good question. What does soon mean? I, I think Christ is going to come back by the time of 2033. Yeah, I mean, so in the context of eternity, 10,000 years could be seen as soon, too. So that's the trick. Well, yeah, in the context is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, God's always existed. So, who, I mean, you know, just, just you know, giving science props for a minute, if the age of the universe is like, you know, 14, 15 billion years old, um, you know, how long has God existed before he created that stuff? So, you know, let's just say 14 billion years. So, I mean, you know, if Jesus hasn't returned, and I don't know, what's soon compared to 14 billion years? Like one or two billion? So, you know, I may have a problem if Jesus doesn't show up in another billion years. But like Chris, I mean, I think, you know, soon means, and there's a whole, there's a whole thing about this. So it's not like we're under a rock. Uh, you know, Jesus says, look, always be vigilant, always be watching, because you don't know, uh, you know, when he's coming back. But the point is, be ready. It can be at any moment, um, or it could be a billion years from now. Who knows? I, I doubt that, but you know what I'm saying. Anyways, Israel. Yeah, I got you. I, Go I, ahead. Saying, though, is, don't you think that uh, the creator would have uh, referencing, or soon would be referenced in, the, in terms of that a human could understand? Not an eternity, but a, a human lifespan. So, in other words, uh, something something that the human mind can grasp, like say two thousand years or twenty three hundred years or something like that. Not not in the billions, because then because as if you say something is going to happen soon, like uh, Ed Edvern Edvern said, um, I would assume like if he said I'm going to go to work soon, within the next hour. Or I'm going to go visit uh, my folks soon. It might be in the context of uh, uh, six months or a year. But when we're talking about the return of Jesus, I would I would assume it would be within you know a thousand, two thousand years, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I would. More, more, I mean, I would assume that too. I mean, I was being a yeah, a something that the mind can grasp. I was being a little facetious with the billions, but I mean, you know, we demonstrated our minds can grasp it. But yeah, I mean, like like Chris said, and you know, he also talks about the signs. Like, you know, everyone has thought, you know, they live in a time where, you know, the signs are there and, you know, uh, Jesus is going to be coming back soon because look what's going on around them. 
but increasingly, like, I, I think, I mean, look around. I mean, it's like, you know, some people can usually point to a couple times, like World War II and some times of turmoil in their lives that have been kind of what Jesus is talking about. But now it's like more of my life, there's been like chaos and conflict on the world than not. So it's like, we don't just have like one event or two events. It's like more of my life has had these kind of like signs of the times than has not. Um, so, I mean, I think it's only going to increase and increase until, uh, you know, God's going to be like, all right, it's time. Yeah, I, I would think that when the, well, Jack, like when the Bible talks about the last days, now I think the last days, understand what that means. It's, it's the last days in a sequence of days. So if I t- told you, you knew I was going to be on vacation for seven days, right? And I said, if I'm in the last days of my vacation, would you think that I was on the day one or day two, day three? No, you probably think I was on the day five, six, or seven. It's the last in a sequence of days. So I understand the expression in the last days it, it can suggest that there is some type of prophetic calendar. God has a prophetic calendar. I believe it's 6,000 years. And it does make sense that if Paul was writing in day four, the end of day four or five, day four, is a couple of prophetic days there in the left. Uh, everyone yes. got a phone call. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you're, I, I would agree. I think it's referring to when those, that we see these, you know, crisis at the door, he's coming soon, things shortly come to pass. I think it's presupposing a prophetic calendar of six uh, prophetic days, each referring to 6,000 years. And uh, the end will come within 2,000 years. It's just a suggestion. I'm not absolutely positive, but it's plausible, I think, if it makes sense. Ed, do you think you could make a case that it was just more than a halfway point, right? So if when Jesus was here, it was 4,000 years of, since, the, since the Jewish lineage, at least, um, that if, if it occurred any time in the next 4,000 years, it would be mm-hmm. close enough. Yeah. Well, hang on. I, I think we're starting to rabbit hole. Like, uh, Israel, since you asked the question, is that the question that is most near and dear to your heart? Or were you just looking for, like, a quick answer that we already gave? Uh, you, you, you have given me, uh, well, you've given me your, yeah, how you view things. And, uh, but, I, but the point I want to get to is, <clears throat> then would you, or if, then would you assume then as time goes on, you would, you would get fewer, fewer and fewer people who would, uh, uh, be or have faith in in Jesus goes on. Would you, would you assume then because it would it would look like so? Would you assume then that uh, that the people would uh, stop believing in Jesus as time goes on? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, the Bible tells us that you know there will there is like this great apostasy. Um, you know, people will be lovers of themselves and things like that. So I mean, th- I mean there there's some biblical evidence to suggest that. But but also, what does that mean? Because there's also more people alive at one time than have ever lived, and it's growing. So so like if we're if we're not to get too deep, but if we're talking about overall numerically of like eight billion people, less of eight billion people could believe, which is still a higher total number than 200 years ago when five billion people um, lived on Earth. So so I, I don't know how to give you an accurate, easy answer, but yeah, more and more more and more people totally may less believe. But that could still be a greater total sum of believers than 200 years ago when the earth was less populated. Right. I mean, Does I anyone have an easier yeah, way yeah. to say that? Yeah. A uh, small percent of a large number is still a large number. Yeah, I agree with you. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, sometimes people usually appeal to like popularity and be like, well, look, Christianity is like losing popularity. I'm like, congratulations, you're halfway to Christ. Like, that's what the Bible says. It says, look, like the, the way the way is narrow and uh, there, there are few who find it. But broad is the path, you know, that leads to destruction. So it's like appealing to, you know, Christianity <clears throat> losing popularity, which I really don't think it is. I mean, maybe in like Western culture and stuff like that, but in places where persecution is worse, you see Christianity growing the fastest and the most. But to their point, I mean, yeah, if anything, it's there were few people who find it. So they're just saying what the Bible says. Yeah, it's no more. It's, it's not any longer culturally advantageous to identify as a Christian as it was years ago. Like now you actually get persecuted. Now people actually oppose that. So what you do, you have people who were never Christian in the first place just admitting it. So it's not that the true Christians are dying out. It's that people are not claiming the religion anymore because it's not not advantageous anymore like it used to be. Yeah, but if if, if Christ if Christ would tarry another five hundred years, you know, I would assume that people would would get sort of uh, discouraged and say, you know, what, what you know, what's going on here? It's been twenty five hundred years now. Why, oh, does I mean, that, I, I, why does that matter yeah. to you? Asked, yeah, I, I, asked, I, I what, what do you mean? You said ask ask a, a question. Ask a. I know you ask asked a question, question, but but why? But the statement that it doesn't matter. Is, it doesn't matter. I'm just asking a question. The statement Pastor. is not. Why are you a getting question? triggered? I'm not are you triggered? triggered. I'm asking you a question. I'm asking. I just you told you. What? Okay, okay, both of you, hang on, both of you. Hang on. It doesn't I, matter. I both, both of you, hold up. I, I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily see him getting triggered, but I mean, I mean, I think it was valid. Like he was asking why. I mean, you know, it's not like we can't ask questions back. But I mean, I, I would say first to answer your question, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's a problem because, you know, the Bible says no one knows. And people are going to, like, if you have faith in Christ, right, if you're just somehow trusting men or, or believing, I don't know, believing a book just for the sake of believing a book, then maybe I get discouraged. But I guarantee, like, I will, I will make the claim that I guarantee uh, Jesus not returning is not going to be the reason you get discouraged and lose heart. It will be something like what happened in Atheist Michael's experience or, you know, something like that. They'll be like, well, you know, I prayed these prayers. I thought I had a relation with Jesus. You know, I thought uh, then I, you know, thought or they would say realize I didn't um, or something like that. Like, I guarantee if, you know, the return of Christ uh, being a little delayed is, is probably not going to be the reason people lose their faith. It's going to be for any other, uh, you know, biblical reason the Bible talks about, like they left us because they weren't of us or something like that. But for those who I would claim I am one you know, who, who have experienced the Bible being trustworthy and true and, you know, experienced this actual living God, um, I'd say no. Like, I, I mean, if I die before this happens in my lifetime, um, fine. I'm, I, have I, I have eternal peace in my soul that uh, my last breath here and my next breath is going to be on, you know, wherever Jesus is. Um, so, so for me, and I think most Christians like me, they would say that. So having, you know, Jesus or the rapture, like, not happen in our lifetime, I, I would say I, I couldn't imagine someone that would be like, well, um, that's going to cause me to lose faith. Like there's any number of things that would cause that before, before the, the Jesus returning thing. Yeah. To Nate, answer your I, question. Yeah, Nate, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, I, I didn't lose my faith because I felt like I got stood up. Nice. Uh, does that? Oh, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a question. Now. We're talking about uh, current current times uh, you know to future i projected out to 500 600 years into the future uh where they can look back even further into the past and say well you know he was he was here uh you know 2500 years ago 2600 years ago 
And, uh, you know, people expected him to come within, you know, your lifetime, Nate, or your lifetime pastor, and he didn't come. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's some, not quite. For the record, we're still alive. <laughs> right. But what I'm saying, though, is even though people are still alive, what I'm saying, though, is maybe what is it is it possible for one to 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 uh, uh, think that maybe there's something that Christianity is not interpreting uh, the uh, the book properly. No, because you guys aren't preterists, right? You guys aren't preterists. I, I don't think, right? Well, no, no, but you could also make a case that you know perhaps the the first you know the first martyrs and and disciples of Christ, you know maybe I mean we we don't know their minds. We only know what they wrote in Scripture. But you know you you could argue some of them probably had arguments and thought, well, you know Jesus is, he says he's coming soon. He's definitely coming back in our lives. So if anyone would have perhaps doubted or recanted their faith or thought they got something wrong, not from reading a book, from hearing it from the mouth of Jesus, the one they followed and knew very well, um, it could have been these people. Yet, you know, they experienced Jesus. So they were willing to go to their death and be martyred. Um, so, so to your point, I mean, I think it would have been more, more fair to make uh, 2000 years ago than it would be now, because, you know, these are people who reportedly by their own words, you know, walked with Christ, saw his miracles, saw him ascend into heaven. So, um, you know, probably some of them thought, well, Jesus says he's coming soon. So, you know, that's going to happen before we die. Uh, nonetheless, they they went off um, and became martyrs. Um, so, you know, we, we don't know their mind, but I think that's probably fair that some of them had those thoughts like that. Here's what here's what here's what Peter wrote to the question 2000 years ago. Beloved, this is now my second letter to you. Both of them are reminders to stir you to wholesome thinking by recalling what was foretold by the holy prophets and commanded by our Lord and Savior through, our, through your apostles. Most importantly, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Where is the promise of his coming? They will ask. Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it has from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlooked the fact that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the worlds at that time perished in the flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the days of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. That's what the word says about that question. What it also says later on, what does it say? It says, do not let this one fact escape your notice, brothers, uh, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. It says the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but it's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God's not slow. He's just patient. He's, he's waiting for people to repent. Uh, that's what the verse says. That's what it says. I got you. It's mm -hmm. amazing how that, it's amazing the accuracy of what the apostle wrote all that long ago. He said scoffers will come and the question that they will ask. That's amazing. Yeah, but the, uh, the apostle, he had the being born uh, 2,000 years ago. He could he could take he could make a calculation and say well okay because he, I, I think he said because they wanted Christ to uh, 
to restore the kingdom at that, or they thought he was going to restore the kingdom at that time, and and he, he didn't. Peter and the other apostles, they had the luxury of being born 2,000 years ago. They could say, okay, well, we know it was, you know, a day is as a thousand years, a day, uh, you know, uh, What's your two point? more days. What's your point? Well, my point is, he gave that we can give it two more days, and then, um, and then he'll probably be here in two thousand years from now. But now we're two thousand years after the fact. So uh, that's what I'm saying. The point is, if you were to project five hundred years into the future, which I, I don't think you guys believe that's going to happen then, but let's say it, it, if you project five hundred years in the future, wouldn't you then think that a that Christianity would then become like a like a nominal nominal no, uh, no. belief so system because he had because he didn't come with that before we start Jesus, with that question go ahead bro Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not overpower it his church is not going to fail he's going to keep building his church until he returns uh, and and the thing is even if it is twenty five hundred years later. Uh, I'm only going, people are only going to live for what, a hundred years? You only have to wait a hundred years. You don't have to wait another thousand years. You only got to wait a hundred. You're going to meet him one way or the other, whether he goes to you, comes to you, or you go to him. You only have one lifetime. It's not like you got to wait another thousand years. Like you, you're going to be there in, in another what? You'll be there probably another what, 60 years, 70 years. You don't have to wait a thousand years. Yeah, and I'd say, you know, the time to have that conversation, which, you know, none of us will have, would be 500 years. So, you know, I, I honestly don't think it's going to take that long. But if the world is still around the 500 years, um, perhaps this podcast will survive and people will be playing this back. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the time to make that case would be 500 years from now. Uh, but I, I my, my sincere belief, I don't think it's going to take that long. No way to know that. I just I just don't. Um but yeah, my salvation doesn't doesn't rest on, you know, um, the timing of the the mathematical timing of the rapture or second coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think we also have to look at why Jesus said it the way that he did, and it well, the point was for us to always be ready. It wasn't for us to try to like predict the exact time because says no man knows the hour. So the point is for us to always be ready. Now, to your second point, true about what will happen to Christianity in the future? Yeah, I mean, it, it will run into challenges as technology gets more advanced, right? Like, uh, I saw this show Upload on Amazon where they basically created a metaverse and when people died, their brain was uploaded and then they called that heaven and you could interact with your loved ones through this metaverse. So as those sort of things come into existence in the future, sure, there will be more challenges for Christianity. That show was spectacular. It was called Upload on Prime. Oh, so good! If if any of you haven't watched it, find it. It's it's really good. It's it's a uh, yeah. It's it's a good thing. It's funny. Uh, good morning, everyone. Morning. Good morning, brother Sean. How you doing? Hey, Pastor Sam. God bless you. God bless all of you. I just wanted to really point out that we're, we're talking about something that's really uh, dear to everyone, that's just the return of Jesus Christ. And it seems like that people really, I, I recommended the book, 
the last day's handbook by uh, Robert uh, P. Leitner. It's under uh, Thomas Nelson. It's the publisher. Uh, it would seem that we are just, we, we argue over pre-trip, mid-trip, a-trip, a-millennial, you know, pre-millennial, post-millennial. And it seems like, and then I'm going to ask the question, is anybody getting saved off for this? Well, and the, the answer is no. The, the <laughs> question was posed by the the question was posed by a scoffer. It wasn't really a question that it was we wasn't. Pastor, I resent you calling me a scoffer. That's okay. You can resent it. I know. I've, well, I've interacted. You, I've interacted you, with you, you enough, brother. Brother, that's not no, an ad hoc. It is a direct. Uh, description of my interaction with you concerning Christianity. You are a scoffer. So, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying, Brother Sean. We were not having a Christian discussion about whether or not it's post-trib or tree-trib. We were having a discussion based on his question on whether or not Christianity is going to lose its potency. And it's not. Because it's not based on these things. It's based on the faith that has been delivered and is received. Those people who have received the faith will remain in the faith. Amen. And who, whoever Amen. is alive, whoever has died in the faith, are going to receive the reward. I don't care what technology comes up with. I don't care if they they dial, uh, uh, transfer everybody's brain to a battery cell. When the <laughs> Lord comes, when the Lord comes, everyone is going to be dealt with, whatever condition they might be in. All right. Well, it would seem <laughs> that it would seem like that this is. You know, we're we're hearing scoffers. Uh, I, I, um, a comedian, uh, very famous comedian, Corey Holcomb, one, uh, when people was telling people, telling him that Jesus was coming back, and if you don't repent, it's not going to go good for him. He was like, "Wait," that's exactly how he said it. So, and but let me let me let me let me interject for a second. I, when I was um when I was a uh, uh, teenager, I say teenager, I was like 12 or 13. I read this book called The Late Great Planet Earth. I think oh, you guys cool. are probably familiar with it. Hell, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And he used uh, some sort of uh, biblical numerology uh, to um, calculate when the uh, when the Christ of the New Testament was going to come. And, and it was it was like a it was a bestseller. And I'm sure when 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 the prophecy failed, when his calculations failed. Uh, a lot of people were discouraged and probably gave up on Christianity. And all I'm all I'm saying is, 500 years in the future, you could you could probably get you could probably make the same kind of uh, argument that there will be a lot of dis disheartened, dis disenchanted people. Disheartened. I mean, what sorry, year? I mean, what, what year did you say in the book? Give up on Christianity. Well, hang on, CEO. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, much like the other things we like, we have we are amazing for rabbit trailing into into absurdity. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess we're talking about, like, 500 years in the future for way longer than we should be. Like, I don't get it. Like, the end point, like, you know, makes me talk about how earlier we were talking about deep philosophical discussions. And I'm like, you know, I get it. The guys that probably had these, they just snapped. And they're like, Look, what am I doing? Like, none of this matters. It's all rubbish. Like, repent. The end is near. Repent and believe the gospel. That's why I have the crazy guy in my picture. Um, <laughs> you know, he probably got sick of having all these, like, vapid conversations, like 500 years, space aliens, Martians. What if there's other ancient alien life? Who cares? Today's the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Um, I, I don't think I, I have the bandwidth to talk about people um, five centuries down the road. Like we're probably not going to live five more years in our current political climate. Um, so, <laughs> um, all right, that's all I got. That's my final two cents. And the second, what Pastor Sam said, I've dealt so with no, this guy before. Not getting off this. He he will keep asking questions to try to discredit Christianity. Like every time I've dealt with him, he just keeps on digging and digging, trying to ask questions to try and discredit the Trinity or try and discredit this or that. That's what he does. He's, he, he doesn't really want to know the answer. He just wants to discredit the religion. Well, for the record, that's, I mean, it's not fine. Like you should repent and believe the gospel. But I mean, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't get the level of offense, right? Like I always come back to like, look, Christ is like praying, Father, forgive them for murdering him as they're murdering him. Uh, so I thought, mm -hmm. you know, as long, like, you know, troll, trolls welcome. Like not saying you're a troll, maybe you are, it doesn't matter. Um, let's take the worst case scenario. So like if someone is a, you know, vicious, anti-militant atheist, uh, you know, hates Christianity to its core, as long as they're polite, um, you know, that's fine. Because I, I, even if it's not for their benefit and they don't care about the answer, they don't care about any of this stuff, um, you know, I believe somebody listening or someone in the audience is going to be like, well, yeah, Christians, like, you know, just answer the question, um, you know, instead of, I don't know, instead of kind of being a certain way about it, because someone out there surely wants to know, even if they think it's, you know, a question not worth asking or a dumb question, um, someone is going to be like, well, yeah, I'd kind of like to know the answer. It sounds ridiculous, but what do Christians think? What's the Bible actually say about it? So, you know, even if, even if like, you know, God-hating atheist trolls, not necessarily you, Israel, or Michael, or anyone like that, just saying, they are out there. Um, as long as they're polite and civil, um, I'll talk to them. I mean, you know, otherwise we've been talking about what was the last ridiculous thing we were talking about for like an hour and a half. Um, anyway, that's my that's my stance. Yeah, so for I don't, the record, I, let me say, I wasn't offended by his questions at all. I thought it was great. We answered the question, but I wanted us to know who we was dealing with. Oh, He's well, asking oh, questions. Asking his questions that. are not, his questions from, from my standpoint of view and from Rich standpoint of view too. We've already been around this bush. Not that we're not going to answer the question, <clears throat> but the question is not what? being asked. Okay, five hundred years from now, when people can read and comprehend better, and they read uh, Deuteronomy twenty-eight and sixty-eight, are they going to understand that they didn't come to America on ships, but they was actually going to Egypt, like it said? Well, we could bounce that around, but we don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen. And he read that book. I I watched a movie, and y'all might remember it, The Gods Must Be Crazy. Was that a good movie or not? Never saw it. Pastor, I just You never saw The Gods that. Must Be Crazy? Oh, Nate, you got to go see that movie. Man. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I'm sure you can rent it, man. It's by uh, Mel Brooks. Nate. Is this where I can give a whole, is this where I can give a holy answer and say I was dedicating that time to fasting and prayer? No, <laughs> you can, you can, and I'm all for the dedication. But if you want to see a funny movie, the gods must be. Nate, I almost kicked you down for that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a good one. Check it out. It's, it's funny. Quite it, it's, one, it's, it's one of Mel Brooks' movies that that aged better than some of his movies, because uh, some of his movies, you know, did not age well. Um, but yeah, that that's a that's a funny one for sure. Um, Pastor, I just want to say that was a very clever dig you got in there. I liked it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Chris, you're extra quiet today. Oh wait, Chris is gone. Maybe that's why. Yeah, he left.
Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, sure, I, I, I'm he, sure my he, uh, questions he, probably ran him off, so I, I, I apologize for that. I was just uh, no. your title he was being offensive in chat, so I kicked him. And the pastor knows. The pastor knows. You I, did not. What I believe in. I, I did believe not. in the. Of uh, course not. No. Oh God. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I I hold to the Tanakh Tanakh only. But the the pastor knows I'm I'm not a scoffer. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I'm not sure where he gets that from. But uh, yeah, it said ask a Christian, so I asked a Christian, and you know, I guess the pastor doesn't want to be asked any question. You know, asking the questions for conscience' sake. You know I love you, man. Well, Aviana, I don't think I don't think I've heard Aviana this morning. You're the only one that hasn't spoke. Would you like to say anything, Aviana? Um, I was thinking just earlier. I mean, I don't really think I have anything to add to what you guys are talking about, except that a lot has to do with how you view eschatology, right, and end times and. Um, I have to look in, I have to look into it more. Um, so I don't, I'm not going to say this isn't a hill I'm like willing to die on, but right now I fall into, uh, post-millennialism, um, versus what I think a lot of people are on millennialism. Um, so is Christ coming back soon? Um, yes, in a sense, but, but no, <laughs> as well. Um, I believe that loads and loads of people are going to be coming um to christ i think that it's going to get a lot 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 worse before it's going to get better well a question i'd like to ask myself is can you imagine um israel um instead of you know the rapture being delayed when the rapture actually happens uh you know all the pre-trib people um assuming that i don't think for a second that like post-trib turns out to be right but you know if we're all wrong then can you imagine people like I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe even like you know, you who who would not identify as a Christian or a Jesus believer at least, um, you know, other people who deny the Christian Bible. Um, let's just say, you know, we start seeing the Christian Bible and Revelation like line by line, like actually unfolding. Then all the Christians who do believe this stuff anyway and always have, then they think, oh, well, we thought we'd be out of here for this. Oh no, um, I don't know. Did we do something wrong? Is God false because of this? Like obviously, Revelation's coming true, but you know, we thought we'd be out of here by then. Um, you know, I don't think we're also we're going to lose our salvation. Instead, we'd be like, oh, well, I guess post-trib is true. I guess, you know, we got to give it give them the win. But, you know, we're not going to question our salvation. Um, we could question our interpretation. So revelation is clearly happening right now. Hell's falling in the sky like this is not a good thing. But, um, you know, God's going to protect us. And I guess we'll just bide our time and wait for post-trib. <laughs> Can you imagine that if that happens, which I don't think will. But if it does unimaginable yeah. <laughs> but I, I i hear what you're saying and i agree it's not a salvific issue yeah i mean i, I agree i mean I, again i, I want to thank you guys for uh entertaining my questions i uh didn't didn't mean i didn't mean to uh, trigger anybody but uh nate you're an excellent host michael so again thank you for uh, allowing me to uh to interject a little uh uh conversation that was sort of off the uh Beaten path, but anyway, uh, thank you guys. Now I, I will talk to you guys later. And Pastor, you know, you know how we do. So uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Of course, take care. Oh, take care. Take care, man. Uh, I had a scripture to uh, kind of water what uh, Pastor had, Pastor Sam had brought up, brought out, and that verse comes from uh, the same chapter of Second Peter three, verses eight and nine. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning promise, his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There it is right there. Thank you. Also, Man, as well, as also, can you... Huh? Well, count yeah, the also, return you... of Christ as, uh, as slackness, as the Lord's being slack. Yeah, it's lots of can you imagine today. But um, can you imagine if, uh, you know, the Lord was a little quicker, which I guess we wouldn't be having that conversation, you know, once this happens. But then you can imagine all the people being like, oh, why didn't he just wait a little bit longer? Just like five more minutes, God. Just give me five more minutes. Hang on. I'll believe in you. Just give me five more minutes. Like, can you imagine all the evil God conversations that would like spire out of that? Like, you know, whenever it does happen. So it's like, you know, it, people are going to have a problem with things they want to have a problem with no matter what. So, you know, if God waits another hundred years, oh, look, your Bible is, you know, so outdated. God's taking forever. If it would have happened 500 years ago, oh, look how evil your God is. He came too quickly. He didn't give me a chance to get saved. I would have believed. I would have eventually believed. So, I mean, you know, that people are always going to, um, you know, spin it how they will. That's why, oh. that's why the Bible calls them scoffers and yeah, that's what they basically well, do. Well, I mean, it's the like Lord. the uh, well, it's like the yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're just parrying the Bible. Michael, cover yours. But um, you know, when the Bible says, um, you know, the fool has said in his heart there is no God, and they're like, plus you're calling me a fool. You're calling me a fool. It's like, well, I mean, you know, in the nicest way possible, this is what the Bible says. So you know, I guess. But I don't mean you know I don't mean to be like impolite or rude. But I mean you know, if it's true, it's true. Now we just have to debate the truthiness of it. Um, okay, you can uncover yours, Michael. I, I can't nudge you to, to make you. Uh, are you still there, Michael? I'm still here. I was just waiting for you to finish. And then, yeah, okay. when, when um, you know, and so, you know, wearing my hat of charitability plus five. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, taking this in a manner which is intended very tongue-in-cheek. When people quote, you know, the fullness of his heart, there is no God. And so, yes, that's not in the Bible. In the same Bible in Numbers 22, 28, that says a donkey spoke. So I take it with a grain of salt. Touche. But I mean, hey, if a donkey spoke, a donkey spoke. A question? Hey, question eight. Uh, yeah. The passage that was just quoted in second, oh, is it second Peter 3? <clears throat> yeah. Apostle, you can address too. Or he says, be not ignorant of this one thing. Right? right. So that's an expression that Peter, I don't think he ever uses, nor any other, well, I'm not sure, maybe other writers use it. But he talks about one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years one day. Do you think, now some believe that that's alluding to God's prophetic calendar. Mm -hmm. That like the six days of creation, you know, created everything mm -hmm. in seven days. Some people believe that there's going to be 6,000 years of human history. Because mm -hmm. the context is dealing with, this, you know, the second coming. Right. So, any thoughts on that? Where he's telling you to be 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 mindful of this one thing. So it's almost like, could there be more to it? Could it be alluding to a prophetic calendar that God has, where things will come to a close after six thousand years, and Christ will reign for a thousand years? It could. I'm gonna say I'm I'm putting the could in the quotes, uh, air quotes. But what I would say is that it, it could. We the Bible says no man know the day or the or the hour, and 
even though the people have tried to date set and all that, all I'm just going to say is just be ready. <laughs> well, be, yeah, just be ready. Well, the, that's, the my, that's, the, that's the practical I, answer to that. Yeah, I, I got you, but, you know, the day and hour doesn't mean you can't know the year. That's, and it, He doesn't actually say no one will know the day and hour. He doesn't say that. He doesn't. It's not in the Bible. He says no one knows the day and hour. He talks in the present tense. So it could just be that the, the end, the second coming, was a mystery back then, and it was. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it, towards the end, knowledge will be increased. We know that from Daniel. In fact, in the tribulation, people will absolutely be able to calculate the very day of the second coming. Once the abomination desolation occurs, it will occur exactly three and a half years later. So I don't think that passage, no one of the day and hour, means that no one's going to have any idea when the end is. I think we can know, maybe to the very year. I, I'm just saying that passage cannot mean that. It doesn't mean that. Well, I, I, I would agree. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say just, you know, Nate's brain. I'm going to say I wouldn't even bother with a year. Like if someone thinks it was 2033 or whatever, like, you know, people thought it was 20, 2012. People thought it was 20, you know, people thought it was the 1900s. I remember people saying that as like, you know, a, a kid, like people would have the predictions. And even, I mean, not as like a, a really young kid, but even as I like sort of grew older, I'm like, wait, the Bible says we can't know mommy and daddy. So why are they saying they know? And they're like, yeah, great question. I'm like, yeah, yeah I thought of- it was the 1800s. Yeah, so I mean, I I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put I I wouldn't take the breath it takes to try to calculate the age and be like, oh, it's gonna be this year. Like, why? Just always be ready, and then it doesn't matter if it's like you know twenty thirty two and a half or twenty thirty three and a fourth. Um, it it's just I, I would not waste. Why? It. There's no. There, why not? I, well, I'm supposed to ask exciting, why. Like, why man. would? Why? Because it's it do it. We're, but but it's it's, it's exciting. It's exciting yeah. the same way my mother in law keeps like buying lotto tickets thinking this is going to be it you don't win if you don't play you don't win if you don't play i'm like but you never win you will never win and if you do i guess you can say you told me so but it's not going to happen like nate feels good making this claim so just why why it it, because there's no base there's no way to base it on it like you know i I remember that i I will remember that i remember 2033 and you know in the year of 2033 if i if i can still remember maybe i'll write it down in a minute and get a Google to remind me. Yeah. Um, I'll be like, hey, this is the year Ed Ed thinks it's going to happen. I'm like, eh, whatever. No, no, that, no, that's like the max year. I believe that's like the max year for maybe the second coming. I believe between 2028, 33. But there's other reasons for it. I'm just, I understand people who haven't you know, studied it. It's like maybe they might not care. I, I understand that. But I'm well, saying, it's not that I don't care. It's just that, you know, we don't, we can't, there, there's no, like, we can't be reasonably sure enough to care. Like, I, I, I mean, yeah, hang on. Let me just set an event reminder real fast. Ed Vren. <laughs> yeah, 2034. We have a special, a special thing. We ask you, Christian. I'm like, look, I was mistaken. I'm just, I'm not saying absolutely, but I'm saying there's evidence for it. That's it. And in the nation of Israel, one of the biggest signs that we're near the end is Israel becoming a nation again, which I believe is the fulfillment of prophecy in Ezekiel, the dry bones prophecy. Which one Messianic Jew, this is interesting, uh, there's a book I read by a Messianic Jew believes the Holocaust was a judgment of God in Israel. In fact, every, every successful attack on Israel has been a judgment of God for their rebellion against him. And, and this author is a Jew, we suggest that the Holocaust was as a fulfillment of Ezekiel, because Ezekiel, the dry bones prophecy, he sees these dry bones in a valley, right? And, that's, and it's declared to be the nation of Israel. And he points out that that was a prophecy that Israel one day experienced Holocaust, he uses that word, Holocaust conditions. But which is interesting, 
he's told to prophesy over the bones. And then they come to and they stand on their feet. They form skeletons. And it describes uh, uh, the flesh and the sinews and the muscles coming on top of the skeletons. And they form a mighty army. Now, what happened to Israel? They went through a holocaust. And then what happened? They became a nation again. That's a miracle. And what are they? A mighty nation. Mighty army. But one last thing was interesting. It talks about God breathing life, uh, the breath of life enters into those, um, that mighty army. That refers to, I believe, their uh, spiritual restoration, which will occur in the, in the uh, tribulation. The point is that happened in 1948. That's another time clue that we're near the end, because that's, prof- that's fulfillment of prophecy. Anyway, All right, that's Edward, a mouthful. All right, Friday, De- Friday, December 31st, <laughs> 2032. Uh, 20, uh, I've got a reminder. Edwin predicts oh. the rapture this year. No, 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 no. The rapture, I think, will happen seven years before that, at least. And I think there'll be a gap between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation, too. So, actually, potentially this year, by 2026, the rapture. Now, isn't there one actual (laughs) tangible clue about, like, uh, Israel will sign a peace treaty for seven years or something? So, there's one tangible clue, Well, no, that's not a... Well, that's not a tangible clue. That's after a half... or or That's like, you know, the three and a half years... The three and a half and the three and a half. Like, that's that's when it happened. Like that's when everyone that has had any, like ever read the Bible at all, be like, Oh, ha, well, guess that's a problem. All right. Well, here's the end now. Oh, so when that happened. So this is like after, I mean, you know, for the, oh, that's after people, the rapture, this is that's after, after the rapture. The pre-trippers believe it. Maybe not all, but this one does. So yeah, I believe, you know, that, uh, and some people will be like, will think maybe the, the Christians will still be here for some of the peace. Um, some of the peaceful three and a half years. Um, so depending on your eschatological view, yeah, at that moment, um, then you'll be able to calculate seven years. But up until that, to calculate at what point that seven years starts, no one knows that. No one knows when this is going to happen. Got it. Okay, because I thought the peace treaty was signed and the rapture occurred after that. But you're saying it's the other way around. I believe so. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, there's different views on that. But yeah, the, the confirming of a covenant as begins the uh, the last, the 70th week of Daniel. The 69 weeks have like, transpired, but many believe there's one more week, which is, week is basically a seven, the seven years. So that's why many people believe the tribulation is seven years, the confirmative covenant um, between the Antichrist and Israel. I think they'll embrace him as like some type of Messiah. It's, it's yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, views on, on this issue. So anyway, I'm going to get going soon, but. Let me invite some people up real quick. And, oh, hey, hey, Yvette, welcome. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, random, what's up, Random? I mean, as it pertains to the conversation on uh, Mark thirteen thirty, uh, Jesus says that not a generation will pass until basically these things come to pass. Uh, so what, what was that supposed to mean? Um, if I remember exactly right, uh, do, do you have the actual quote you could read? I think it says like all these, like all these things, whatever he's talking about, will come to pass. Um, verily, maybe I'll read it. Yeah, verily, yeah. Uh, this is just King James because that's what happened to pop up right away. Uh, verily, I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Yeah, and is it the these things being done is basically everything that would everything that needs to be uh, taken care of? before the rapture like all things that need to happen for the end to come like i i would want to like read the context but i i think that um that is at least a view i remember having when i read that is like okay well all these things that he's talking about need to happen before the rapture so now all these things have happened in this generation so now 
rapture can happen any moment. I believe that's what I remember from uh, whenever I, I read that. I could be wrong. Sure, but, I'm, but, I'm, but yeah. I guess I guess the, the real question is that it, it says that this generation shall not pass. Uh, right. So are we just kind of are we broadening the, the the definition of generation then in this in this sense? No, that's not what I said at all. So like, for, okay, for example, I'm I'm taking a big big uh, leap because this this could not make any sense, but from, I'm pulling from memory. So for example, what I'm saying is, if Jesus says, you know, um, the next crop must come, and then um, Nero must sack the capital, none of this is in the Bible. Nero must sack the Bible, and uh, not not one, uh, you know, this will all happen in this generation, right? So that's the point. So like whatever the quote, these things are, that that's what I, I was wanting you to read. Like, what are these things? Because oh, yeah, if he says something... you know, that makes sense. Yeah. In 26 earlier, uh, one of the things that are seemingly included is, and then shall they see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Oh, right. So, okay. So I know some people think, which I'm sympathetic to, because uh, right after that, I believe in like what the next page or the next chapter, it's like the transfiguration. Um, yeah. Unless I'm completely okay. So. so like, I don't have any problem with that being fulfilled right there. Like that's, I mean, maybe not like you know splitting the eastern sky and like you know the revelation picture, but I mean you know his disciples saw him, Abraham, Moses. He talked to him. You know his like clothes became dazzling white. Like if that's not like you know a sign of power. And, you know, the voice of God speaks out from heaven, says, this is my son, you know, listen to him. Um, so, I mean, if that's not like a display of, you know, the sun and power and glory, um, I don't know what is. But I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to that um, understanding. Because that happens right after he says that. Sure. Okay. Oh, but let's hear I mean, what Chris it, has to say. I'm sure Chris has a traditional yeah, answer from a crusty church father. <laughs> what? What's the question? <laughs> Ask it again, random. Mark thirteen thirty seems to indicate Jesus foretelling the second coming, uh, and he says it essentially is within this generation, or this generation shall not pass uh, before these things are happen or what have. It's a it's a twofold prophecy: one having to do with seventy A.D. and the events of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and the second having to do with his actual second coming. Uh, and so I guess my question then is when he says, uh, and this generation shall not pass before these things happen, uh, is that's not referring to the second coming? No. Why not? Are we living in the millennial kingdom right now? And like everything is perfect and there's no sin? Uh, did you hear him? No, I didn't hear that. Uh, he was saying because we would have to be living in the uh, millennial kingdom in order for that to happen. Like everything perfect, just like Jesus describes. So since that's not happening, that's how you know that's not what he's talking about. So it's so it's not actually making reference to biblical scripture that you're saying that it hasn't happened or that that, that kind of thing is. It's basically post-op rationalization. No. I'm saying is you can literally look around and do you can you go to Jerusalem where the physical Jesus is and go talk to him no therefore you know that's not what it's talking about the second coming of Jesus is a final second coming like that's it unless you want to well, I... unless you want to talk through some kind of weird like 
you know, full preterism or something that the actual second coming happened at the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. And we're living through that right now. And that the world will be perpetually this way. And that's something called full preterism. That's one view that you could have, I suppose. I mean, my simplistic view is, or it's just a false prophecy. Yeah, well, I mean, that would be something that would be outside of the Christian worldview, and that would be an external critique. You know, and what we would say is, we're not going to look at that particular prophecy. We're going to look at what are the resurrection references. And the resurrection is going to tell us what's true and what's false, rather than quibbling about the wording on a particular verse that would have meant something different to you than would have Second Temple Jews. So, like, what we would say is we're going to predicate the truth of Christianity based on the evidences of the resurrection and where those stand and fall, and we're going to fight the battle on that ground because everything else is going to be subject to some type of literary interpretation, which is not going to give us a final answer. The final answer for the truth of Christianity is going to come from, did the resurrection of Jesus actually happen? And I would also say that, you know, if, if it was a false prophecy, like, that, I mean, there were just clearly, like, I don't know, using a little bit of human logic here for a minute, there clearly had to be an understanding that this could not have been a false prophecy because no one would have ever heard of Christianity from the second century on. Like, it would have been like, you know, one of these other people where, you know, the Romans identify and, you know, the apostles say, look, there's lots of other people who say they're like, you know, they're the Messiah and all these people. But, you know, they they fall away and, you know, they aren't who they say they are and they're, they burn out quickly. So Jesus would have just been another one of those if the understanding, you know, because because there are plenty of people that were around, like, you know, the younger people uh, that outlive that generation. So, like, you know, you had the followers of, you know, people that hung around the apprentices of Paul, Peter, of all these other people who, you know, weren't born when they were, so they outlived, you know, the first disciples generation. So they clearly had to have another understanding than, oh, it was just a false prophecy. Otherwise, they're like, well, I wasted 10 years on that. Um, guess he was a false guy, just like all the others. So, all right, time to make shoes or something like that with my life. But they didn't. So there has to be some understanding that they had um, other than false prophet, because that would have been exactly what would have happened. He, Jesus would have just been like some other guy that we never heard of. Um, but since that didn't happen, a little bit of human reasoning would say there's something um, they had a different understanding hmm. than that idea. Well, well, Chris, do you, do you think it's referring to the transfiguration? Did you do you, that the uh, coming in power, great glory? Some people. Yeah, did you hear that. Nate's heresy? Yeah, yeah I, no, I, I, I don't think that has to do with the transfiguration. I think it's I think it's definitely okay. a dualistic prophecy talking about both the second coming and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Yeah, yeah for the, for the, that's the that's been the, the the interpretation throughout church history from the first century on. I mean, yeah. there's you can probably find other ideas out there, but I mean, literally every commentary you're going to pick up, whether it's charismatic or it's you know reformed or it's like a orthodox reformed or anybody is going to take the same view on those verses. I think the problem that Random is running into is that he's attempting to kind of do an end game on something that's been explained for 2,000 years, and it would just mean that all of Christianity has been populated by complete morons for 2,000 years, which could be the case, and maybe Random is just literally the smartest person on the planet to ever bring this up. That could be true. We don't know. 
And Nate, uh, just to uh, continue on what you were talking about the RISA, you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, just to continue on the RISA, if only one resurrection happened in all of history, they would have been saying, oh, it's just one resurrection, and that's why, because only one guy did it, and that's why they picked off on it. So here you have guys who falsified saying they were messiahs, and then all of a sudden one takes off. So you, you, you can't, it's like, it's always a lose-lose with them, but it's, ama- it's amazing how God planned it. That if he would have just done that one resurre- that one Messiah, everybody would have said, well, no wonder it's just one guy who did it. Who cares, right? But here God made it so that there was false guys all around who were trying to get the Messiah thing going, never did, and then this one person all of a sudden changes the world on the same you know, Messiah level. So you see, it's, it's like, it's amazing in itself, and nobody sees it. That. Anyways, that's all. Sure. Um, I just I had a question for Chris. Chris, are you, do you believe that some authors they telescope prophetic events that are separated by thousands of years in a way that they they appear it's worded in a way that it seems like it would happen at the same time? Like for example, in Isaiah that Jesus quoted in the beginning of his ministry. I've, I've come to bind up the broken heart and set the captives free. If you read that passage in its context, it, it also talks about the day of vengeance is in my heart or something like that. Now, Jesus doesn't quote that when he reads from that passage of Isaiah. He, he leaves off that last part. Um, but if you actually were a Jew and you read that passage in Isaiah, I think it's 53, it seems to indicate that Christ is going to do all these things and also it will be also be the day of vengeance. But we know that didn't happen when, when Christ in his earthly ministry. That's going to happen in the second coming. But do you understand about the idea of telescoping? I think it's a term that some theologians use where... Yeah, uh, I think it's poor theology. Okay. I, I, so, think that, I think mm-hmm. that what happens when Jesus or when any of the apostles are quoting the New Testament writers, um, they are not doing it in the sense that we're going to do it as a proof text. They are doing it for meaning to the reader. So, like, there's a difference between significance and meaning. And so when they quote Hosea 11.1, uh, when Matthew quotes Hosea 11.1, he's doing it for significance, not the meaning of the passage. Same thing when Jesus quotes Isaiah, it is for the significance of the messianic prophecy, not for the meaning of the text of Isaiah. Does that make sense? Oh, um, hmm, well... But he doesn't mention, okay, let me, I'm just thinking about what you're saying, but he doesn't mention the part from Isaiah where it talks about the day of vengeance. Right, so that's he doesn't something, care. That's not well, what he's talking well, about. He's not talking about Isaiah at all. He's using Isaiah to call back to the significance of his messianic ministry. He's not, he's not trying to fulfill Isaiah in that moment or a part of Isaiah. What he's doing is he's using it for significance, cultural significance, so that mm. they would understand that he is coming and he is claiming to be Messiah, which mm-hmm. is why the Pharisees decided to kill him right afterwards, after he mm-hmm. fulfilled another messianic prophecy by healing the man with the withered hand in front of their faces. Because that's a call back to Moses and the leprous hand. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Placing the yeah. leprous hand in his cloak and then pulling it back out, yeah. So this is this is all. I'm sorry, that wasn't Moses. That was uh, no, it was Moses. Um, yeah, that was one of the signs to Pharaoh. So 
you know, like the the callback, the meaning, the difference between meaning and significance is a more advanced hermeneutical topic that we really have time for okay. here. But like, I would say, read up on, um, go to uh, hermeneutics of the biblical writers. Um, and that will give you a really good overview of what I'm talking about. Hermeneutics of the biblical okay. writers. Okay. Well, but, but again, but okay. But putting aside with Jesus citation, uh, uh, calling back to Isaiah, if you have a Jew reading that passage in Isaiah, there's things that are listed that the Messiah would do. One of those days, things is the day of vengeance. So, if you were if you were a Jew reading it back then, it would seem that all those things would be fulfilled when the Messiah would come the first time. Well, right? that's why it would confuse them. But again, yes. you're missing what I'm saying. Okay, is that they would have also understood culturally that he's just talking about the Messiah. He's not talking about the specific ideas of what the Messiah will do. He's simply talking about I am the Messiah, and that's why mm -hmm. they were like, "Oh, we got to kill this guy." It wouldn't have been like, oh, we're going to tick off all of the things that Messiah is going to do and check them off a list. They do that later on as a, as a polemic against Christianity, but that's not how they would have understood it. They would have understood it simply as, they wouldn't have understood it as telescoping prophecy or any of the okay. other nonsense that, that moderns try to put on it. What they would have understood is the significance of Jesus claiming to be Messiah. That's all they would have understood. Okay. They wouldn't have been like sitting there with a laundry list of, well, he's going to do this, this, that, this, this, that, and bring vengeance. Like that's not that's not how they would have understood Jesus. Okay. All right. I got to head off to work, Chris. But thanks for getting your response. Welcome, Daniel. What's up? Hey, how you doing? Is it like a pop up Q and A, or do are y'all yes. talking about like a specific thing? That one, the pop up thing. Do that. Okay. Yeah. I, I just wanted to ask. Uh, like this thing to come that we call in the kingdom. I understand there's a kingdom mindset, but there's like when I read scripture, there's going to be like an actual kingdom. I want I just want to know, like, uh, just get y'all opinion on how do y'all see that developing, like realistically? What's a uh, ask a Chris today? So, uh, Chris. There's there's three different views. There's something called amillennialism, which means there is no millennial kingdom. Um, that the millennial kingdom is allegorical. Um, there is something called premillennialism. That means that before the end of the world, there will be a thousand-year physical reign of Christ on earth. Um, and then there is something called postmillennialism, which means that um, the acts of the Christians and the um, evangelistic fervor of Christianity will take over the world and will usher in the millennial kingdom of Christ, um, you know, or the the second coming, essentially. So you got amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism. Those are the three views, Daniel. Okay, are they are they kind of like separate, or are they like a, a whole like thing together with different phases? No, they're they're all separate. They're separate views that different types of theologies would take. So, and there's and there's sub ones under those, so that it gets extremely complicated. But like, you know, suffice to say, there are three mainstream views of eschatology. Those are the three mainstream views of eschatology. Okay, uh, I guess I would ask, like, I guess a personal question: which one would be, uh, which one would you subscribe to, or other people on the panel subscribe to? I'm, I'm something called the historic premillennial. 
Okay. I'm a prima. Do you just, Chris? Do you just make up complicated terminology sometimes? I wish I did. Yes, I, I suppose I could. I could just start like spouting off stuff, and you guys would know the difference. It'd be great. But no, I would. So, uh, Chris, I, I guess from your point of view, how can you see this? Uh, I guess how do you see? this uh thing developing that we call like a kingdom because in my mind for example i can see like a maybe it can be like an economic thing that happens with other places and then israel becomes a superpower and then like america kind of like influences culture and trade and things like that on a lot of countries and stuff like that i, I can kind of see israel being in that position and it being kind of like the in a way a superpower or the superpower i guess how would you like, personally, how would you, like, from your perspective, how would you see, like, that thing, the kingdom developing? So, so in premillennialism, the idea is that it's pre-something, right? And that thing is what we call the, the tribulation, right? So, the pre here has to do with, it's before, I'm sorry, it is before the second coming. So, we would have the seven-year tribulation as mentioned in revelation and then at the end of the tribulation that is the end of this world's history then the thousand year reign begins so in premillennialism that's what it means is that the thousand year reign happens after all of the events of the great tribulation that is mentioned in revelation and then for postmillennials uh, say that the great tribulation would go forward um, I'm sorry that the um, tribulation has already occurred. They would, they would be something called a partial preterist and that they would say that, you know, that's talking about Rome and that now we are in the kingdom age and that we are ushering in the second coming of Christ. The amillennials would say, no, there's just the second coming of Christ coming any minute now and that there's not going to be any physical millennial reign on the earth. How do I see it? I think that things are going to continue to get worse and worse until the Great Tribulation occurs, at which time uh, there will be seven years of tumult, and then the, the reign of Christ on earth will begin in earnest. Not like, oh, it just gradually happens, or like, oh, we can deny, like, you know, oh, yeah, sure. No, this is a literal, physical reign of Jesus on earth. Like, period. So, like, you would, ne like, people would see him again. Like, it would be really scary. It'd be very terrifying. Like, it, the whole world would know that, oh, yeah, all those other religions are false. Christianity is true. And then Jesus kills everybody at the end of it. <laughs> nice bedtime story. I'm going to tell that to my kids tonight. Yeah. So do you see... So that's, that's what it is. So do you see Jesus uh, being more like a political figure as a Messiah, or do you see him like a... I guess Moses was a political figure also, but do you see him being like a... I don't want to say like a renegade or a warrior or something you, like that, but... Are you still a political figure if you're the only one? Right. He's a king. He's a He would be a monarch in that sense, but like... Well, actually, you know, Revelation I guess, I guess about, technically... Revelation talks about him coming from the sky, not the way just a regular dude, if you guys want to go there. Right, yeah, he uh, comes, he comes to, on he's a not horse. Coming, he's coming with his angels, and, and you will know it's him, and everybody will know it's him. There's going to be no more doubts. So. It's not like he's going to be born in a body a second time, Daniel. You will be coming 
in power, supernaturally, like slamming himself on the Mount of Olives. It's be like, oh, okay, yep. I it's kind of like you know how. Yeah, it's kind of like how you know how people are like, I just believe if Jesus shows up, I just need to see Jesus. It's one of those like, be careful what you wish for things because you know when it happens, they'll be wishing it didn't. Like like in unmistakable. So so even though like throughout scripture like Messiah's came naturally and physically, so if this was gonna be like the time like the Exodus, why do we? Uh, I guess why would y'all take the position of uh, that he would come like supernaturally? Oh, great question. Okay, so I, I love the word point, right? So. So like it's like when Jesus says ye are gods and then someone's like see he doesn't mean god it's like one of those things so like if you want to say like um G like Jesus is a messiah like that type of messiah then I am a messiah to my cats and dogs because I brought them out of bondage in their animal shelter and I rescued them and I was their messiah so in that sense um that's not what we're talking about so in the actual like you know messiah Jesus sense it's because Revelation, you know, among other prophetic books, you know, like Daniel, Jude, like look at Revelation. That's why we think that because it says that. So, um, you know, if you've, I'm sure you've read Revelation, but if you haven't, thumb through some of that. Like the entire book is, you know, th this uh, is Jesus speaking. So that's why we think that because it says that. So if it said he was going to be incarnated a second time or born again or gently rise through the political ranks and, you know, be the, the one guy to like do these awesome peace treaties, then that's what we'd believe. Uh, but it it doesn't. So uh, yeah, the picture you get of Revelation, um, that's why we believe that because that's what it says. Nate, for clarity, your dog would agree with that assessment, but um, not your cat. And also, at one point, senseless suffering has to end. You know, this, uh, this world of senseless suffering has to end at one point too. I didn't hear. Yeah. Walter, at the end of the millennial kingdom is when the final cleanup occurs. Um, all the nations gather up against the, you know, the millennial king of, of Jesus, um, and they will try to overthrow him at the Battle of Armageddon, and they will all be instantly killed by his word. Like, he will speak a word, and they will... The imagery is literally, it says, the wine press, the wine press of the, the wrath um, to come is like grapes in a wine press. So the, it's it's a literal picture of people exploding like scanner style. So like it's a scary thing, right? And so there will be no one left alive who is not a believer in Jesus. It is the greatest genocide in the history. I mean, could, could other than the other than the world exploding when it uh, when the universe ends, same thing. <laughs> I guess I guess what you consider like the uh, the descriptions that John give us and Isaiah give us and Ezekiel give us. Could you could you uh, I guess do you consider that maybe they was explaining something that you know like back in the day they probably didn't have the vocabulary to like explain everything, so they explained it based on things they already know so it can sound like it's supernatural but it probably has a like in depth it probably still has like a realistic i guess showing even though like no, the words okay no. okay the, the, i mean i mean just because you know like i hate to bring human reasoning because paul talks so much against it but i mean at a certain point it's like you know you got to use human reasoning to, to read or to have this conversation so i mean there's some things just like a hand wave there's 22 chapters in revelation if it was anything other than what it says, like, and it doesn't just say it like once and then we read into it, 
it's 20, what, 21, 22? Maybe I'm a bad Christian. 21, whatever, 21 or 22 chapters saying the exact same thing over and over again in different ways. And it, yeah, so like the only way to read that is it's literally going to happen. Um, so yeah, th there's just no way around it. So either, you know, the Bible's false, these people are lying, and this needs to be a Harry, po Harry Potter spinoff, or the people writing this actually meant to describe it just this way. Um, there, there's really just no no other way to get around that. So in Isaiah, you would agree that it's more than likely it's going to be uh, people in, in subservitude, like slavery in the kingdom, since no, he mentions that is it? Incorrect. Nope. No. That is something that happened during the Babylonian exile and after the Babylonian exile. So what Hebrew Israelites will love to do is they'll take this millennial kingdom and they'll have this idea that there's going to be slavery in this millennial kingdom and that the Hebrew Israelites are going to be the slave masters and the Edomites are going to be the slaves. Like none of that is true. And it's just a very, very in inept and illiterate reading of Isaiah. They literally have no idea what they're reading. They have no historical context. They don't know who Isaiah is, who he's writing to, what the context historically is. They don't know who any of the people groups are, and they're just making things up as they go along. So there's no such thing as slavery in this millennial kingdom. That's not talking about the millennial kingdom where they're misapplying it. It's talking about stuff that's already happened in history. So when did the wolf lay down with the uh, sheep? So again, that's a different passage, but that's that's now that's, that's know, Isaiah. That's Isaiah is talking about like the well yes, Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah is saying he's talking about the passage in Isaiah. You're talking yeah, about he, the difference between twenty chapters. So you have to look at everything in its context. The whole book of Isaiah is not talking about the millennial kingdom. The right, book but of Isaiah I, is broken into many sections. The but section when I read, that you're talking. But when when I read Isaiah. I understand Isaiah wrote a, a script. So Isaiah wrote everything together. We take the script and then we separate it into chapters and verses and things like that. But Isaiah didn't well, do no. that. Yeah, but are but, you going so, okay, so, well, well, to listen that's true. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So, yeah, that's true. But, but whenever you talk about that, like 20 chapters for us that man separated, how many different subjects? I'm, I'm going through Isaiah right now. So like, although we did chapters, I get it. But seriously, 20 of our chapters, how many different topics and different issues do you think Isaiah in his one giant long script addressed between 20 of what we call chapters? There's hundreds of what we call pages uh, in there. So I would just say, again, on its face, like, you know, no theological degree required. He covered a lot of topics and a lot of issues in between the two that we're talking about. Uh, go ahead, see you. If that's that wasn't about. me, no. I just want to say, why would you go with Isaiah when the Messiah has come and he's already declared everything? Why would you want to go back to Isaiah? It's not. It's you not, already have Christ. Christ it, is here. He told us what's going to happen. He told us what's going down. You don't have to go all the way back to Isaiah anymore. Isaiah, you want to use Isaiah to prove Christ. No problem. No, I mean, you, you want to for. use Isaiah to prove everything. Not, like, not just but you can't. Christ. You can't. No, Isaiah, Isaiah is not the prophet who is going to control what's going to happen because yeah, Christ I'm not, already I'm not came. I'm not, I'm not saying the Messiah that. Was, saying. The Messiah came, so you were listening to the Messiah. Isaiah is like, okay, he did his thing. Now it's Isaiah. Now it's Christ. But Isaiah is not fulfilled. Like the prophecies in Isaiah aren't fulfilled. But, that, so but then Christ already talked about that. Yeah, they still have to be fulfilled, right? Our no, Lord already talked folks. about that. Yes, yeah, some of them have been fulfilled. The, the the prophecy about slavery in Isaiah has been fulfilled. But the Science but the Israelites didn't. The, 
And it is they, not in the Millennial Kingdom. It is in history. You can look it up in history books. In fact, it's also mentioned elsewhere in Scripture in Nehemiah. Where, uh, is, Nehemiah huh? where Israel is kind of like, uh, like in, that other nations are in subjection to Israel. That's what you're saying? Like that already happened? Again, you're conflating all kinds of different passages. The thing about slavery is not that all the nations are going to be slaves to Israel. It is that Israel will take will take slaves from many nations. And that is true in the book of Nehemiah. You can read it. And so the, the problem that you're having is that you're conflating a whole bunch of different subjects in Isaiah. You're amalgamating them into a single prophecy where you're reading into it that there's going to be this slavery in the kingdom of the Edomites. And that all the no, nations no, no, no. are serving. I never said Edomites. I never said Edomite. Well, you know, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what I've heard in the past. Look, here's the thing. In order to understand how to correctly read scripture, there is an art and a science called hermeneutics. We don't try and understand things in a vacuum or take proof texts out of context. What we do is we take the whole of scripture and the whole counsel of God and we understand it. The way that that has been done is through something called systematic theology, okay? So if you get yourself a really good systematic theology of the Old Testament, it's going to go through these issues, and it's going to organize those thoughts in a way that you can understand. And it's going to put Isaiah back in its historical and its cultural context for you so that you can understand it as if you were one of the readers when Isaiah was giving his prophecies. The problem is, is that we're coming at things with a 21st century lens and we're attempting to focus our theologies into whatever the scripture is. And that's the wrong way to do it. What we have to do is read it in context. We have to read it um, with understanding of the history and culture of the nations, of the geography. All of these things are extremely important to suss out what the author is attempting to say. Right. So instead of putting what we think on top of the author. Right. So when I we when I read Isaiah, it talks about how strangers are going to build the gates and they're going to build like all this other stuff. But then when I go to what you were talking about, where Israel, after they came out of Babylon, they had a couple people in captivity. And when the people asked to help build the gates, they said, no, you don't have nothing to do with our father. So it can't be to me like reading that can't be like the again, the same I, point isaiah yet again why why aren't you following what christ and his apostles taught because that is the next generation i am because when you isaiah. think about it christ didn't teach no you're from, not no you're wait, constantly wait, wait. going back to isaiah and no, mixing it explain. all up the prophecies of the messiah in christ said it's all been fulfilled right not in all me, but all has been fulfilled I got so you, now you're, you you see all the apostles going out from Christ. Christ tells them to go out into the world and preach. None of them preach Isaiah. They I got preach you. the that's Messiah fine. has come. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not I'm not preaching right now. I'm more. You're so going back. You was, let's go back to Moses then. Hey, let's go back no, to no, Moses. No, it's then not that. Moses said that we're gonna we're gonna start a new place and I'm gonna give you a promised land. Are we gonna do that too now? No, I'm not. It's it's not that. It's more so like. I'm reading in the Old Testament. Do talk about like a kingdom. It talks about a Messiah coming. You're right, uh, like like, like okay, Chris was so saying. It says a lot of things. Stuff, right, but that stuff haven't happened yet. So, me referring back to it, but according to Christ, it did. Right, right. Huh? But that again, Daniel, you keep making that assumption that it hasn't happened yet. 
but yet you have no cultural, historical, or linguistic training to make that determination. I do. I do. Absolutely no way. Oh, you do. You you read Hebrew? I kind of do, but at the end of the day, like. Oh, you do. Cool. Let me give you a Hebrew passage. Read it. Wait a second. Like at the the end of the day, like when the scripture talks about the second coming of Christ, that's something we're still waiting for. So it's kind of like everything hasn't been fulfilled. So it's kind of like it's okay to go back to Isaiah because when Christ was teaching, he didn't have no other books but the uh, Torah and Tanakh. So that's what he was teaching from also. So it's kind of like there's nothing wrong with like reference. Christ is God. And what you just quoted, the second coming is from the New Testament, not from the Old Testament. Yeah, but so if it's just from the Old Testament, how did Moses write of him? But it's because he point. was writing that's, things that was to come. That's the point, exactly. You just yeah, he was writing it. things that was to come. So it's in, not, it's, in it's the Messiah, the in the Messiah, the Old Testament is fulfilled. That's why to us to go back into Jewish literature to try to figure out the, 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 the Messiah's mission for us is pointless. We use the Old Testament to prove who the Messiah is. Once you've gotten that, look, in the, liter- in the Old Testament, the Messiah is proven. And now the apostles, the chosen, are sent into the world to preach the word, so I to ha- preach Christ. So why haven't in not, the Bible? Not preach Isaiah. They're not sent into the world to preach Isaiah and Moses. They're out, no, sent out into the world to preach Christ. You got to understand, I'm not, I'm not preaching Isaiah. I'm more so asking like, about but Isaiah's But I'm telling prophecies. you to look at Isaiah as the fulfillment of the Messiah, not some new fulfillment to happen after the illness time. I, I got you, but some things written in Isaiah hasn't happened yet. That's the thing. If it didn't happen, that's up to Christ and his apostles to tell you, and they didn't tell you anything. I know, but what's wrong with talking about it? That's all I'm You're doing. not I'm talking about it. You're arguing, not, saying, well, this has to be done. This has to be done. And who's this guy? No, Where's just, the Messiah? And who's that Messiah? Cha- I'm just challenging y'all's point of view. That's all. I'm, I'm not. You're challenging me. Okay. Well, so then I'm challenging well, back. So, I mean, the point of view, and then, Chris, feel free if you want to punish yourself, uh, stick around. But I'm going to have to run. I would say the point of view is, you know, you say Isaiah wasn't fulfilled. Um, you would probably do well as an observant Jew who think that, you know, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. I mean, they wouldn't say Isaiah wasn't fulfilled or, you know, they would have killed him for being a pro- false prophet. Anyways, um, you know, so the disciples it's who were Jews. Fulfilled. Yeah, that, so, something hey, that Moses talked uh, okay, about happened okay. after Moses died. Okay, so, like, so wonderful, we'll wonderful. To... Well, okay, sure. I, I mean, I guess I can make a prophecy and no one can, can kill, no one can kill me if I say, well, it's it's not that it didn't come true. It just hasn't came true yet. Right. Anyways, the point is you'd probably do well in observant Judaism. But the Jews who did recognize Isaiah was fulfilled and Messiah was the fulfillment of it, um, you know, they followed Christ. So ultimately, we can go back to another OT person you may like. Uh, let's go to Joshua. Let's go to 24 where, you know, people are having people are having these grumblings. And they're like, but God's mean. Eh, I don't like God. I have a problem with yeah, God. Yeah, but like, and he's Isaiah's like, talking well, uh, uh, about the third temple. Oh, hold on. I'm, I'm making a point because I have to run. I don't know if you missed that, but I've, I've been quiet and let you guys talk for a while. So the point is, um, you know, the disciples recognize Isaiah was fulfilled and recognize Christ as that fulfillment. If you disagree, then let me put on my Joshua hat for a second and be like, you know, if you want to serve the God of the Amorites or the God of your ancestors or no God at all or any other God or Yah, peace be upon them. Um, do that. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Jesus. So, you know, if you don't think Jesus is the Messiah, you should. But if you don't think so, then, you know, serve whatever you want and discard Jesus. Um, You know, don't do that, but it's your choice. So that's where we are. So people that thought God was too mean or God wasn't doing, you know, what he was supposed to do fast enough on their timetable, that seems like a very similar boat you're in. Um, Or if you think he didn't fulfill all the prophecies in Isaiah yet, or that's not Jesus. 
then, you know, do what you want. But as for me and, you know, the billions of other people, including the disciples of Christ who recognize Christ as a fulfillment, um, you know, we will serve him. Anyways, um, on that note, uh, <laughs> Chris already left, so he couldn't stick around. All right, Sean Walter, good to talk to you guys. I will catch you all uh, maybe tomorrow. Have a good one. Take care, everyone. See ya.